get it going. It's time to get up. Goddard gets it into the Toronto zone for Tannen. Sharp angle. He scores. As the Vancouver Canucks have defeated the top team in the NHL. These guys are here to break it all down. Demers a great goalie. He uh, he played really well tonight. He made a couple big saves for them. Um, you know, we had had some quality opportunities there, especially in the end. Um, you know, he came up big, so uh, sometimes you just gotta tip your hat. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Friday, March 5th. Favorite day of the week here on the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. James Sabalski here, Perry Solkowski there, Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on 650 on the AM dial in high definition on HD3 at 96.9, or you can also stream us on the Sportsnet app. Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business, 650-650. You know your homework assignment after every Canucks game. We play Canucks in a song. What song best sums up the performance of the home team from last night? We'll hit the music shortly. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sportsnet650 as well. What's on the dial today here, Pear? Oh, man. Listen, I'm, I'm still reeling. Who had Jake scores two and they beat the Leafs in the pool? Congrats. Retire with that ticket. Uh, we'll get into it. Everything Canuck-wise, as you said, um, you know, it, it's been quite a last 12 hours of what we dealt with in the world of sports. Uh, Ron McClain joins us at 7 o'clock, as he always does. And with the passing of Walter Gretzky, Ron, uh, you know, not broadcaster that knew Walter. Ron, a very good friend of the Gretzky family, did so much for charity with Walter. We'll get into that with him. Sat Shaw, who you just heard for the last little while on the postgame show, he's getting up early with us, and we'll break things down as we get set for Jim Benning, who will be on the airwaves um, at 11 o'clock with Scott Rintel and Scotty's show. So we'll get into what may be asked, what answers, or if any answers we get from the GM with Sat. Uh, and we'll head down to Calgary, where there was the big shock late last night after a dominating performance by the Flames they decide it's time for a coaching change. You know, Paul Maurice said, with all the scrutiny in the North Division in Canada, I bet you five coaches lose their job. Well, he may not be crazy. The second one happens in Calgary with Daryl Sutter taking over from the Flames last night. All of it. All of it going down. Um, okay, why don't, we, why don't we start with the Vancouver Canucks here. Uh, first things first. and uh, What a win. I mean, a, a win that I think surprised a lot of people here in this market and, and the unlikely hero, the... <laughs> The man who has been signed, sealed, and delivered to be packaged off to the Anaheim Ducks less than a week ago. But shotgun Jake getting it done with a two-goal effort in, without question, his most dominant, uh, his best performance probably since going back to last season as he factors in on two goals, including the game winner uh, and Jake Vertanen. Uh, getting it done, man. Looking as engaged, and that's I think for what has driven this market nuts about Jake Vertanen is you don't see that enough, right? That you know he's got it in him. There it is, last night on display. But when was the last time you saw that from Jake Vertanen? You got to go back what some thirty games ago, right? How how this personality and this individual who has the speed, who has the side, who has the ability to to dominate shifts to dominate in a game in certain peaks and valleys but that has been MIA until we finally saw it last night I was shocked and Shorty corrected it but he was only wrong by one game and he goes that's the first multiple goal game in Jake Vertanen's career I'm going you kidding me 
all the opportunities you've had. Now, it was his second. But James, he's one of those guys that it just it doesn't look like Jake is moving his feet and he's working hard. So then all of a sudden when you see him coming hard on a back check and you realize the speed he has, you go, thank you, that helps. Hey, the first one you cut hard to the net, great, and you got a little luck. That second one, he's looking at the little spot that's been given to him and, and puts it exactly there. It, it's such a difference maker. And I found it ironic, you know, talking to Dan Murphy this week. We said, Murphy, I, I think we're past the point that if Jake goes on an absolute tear, these guys believe it's finally time. It is agonizing how he could tease. I do think from an organization they would go, well, you know, we don't have any options yet. But as soon as the phone call starts ringing, Jake would be the guy that we would move. But who saw that? I, you know, my debate last night, James, did they win that game or was that game stolen for him by the goalie who made some incredible saves at the right time in the form of how Thatcher Demko played? Oh, I, I think Thatcher Demko was good last night, but I think that this was a solid team effort. I mean, look at how that team kind of played in the third period. You know, they, they I love closed. The third. I think, yeah, I think the like, look, I think the Leafs were tired, and I think the the Canucks certainly turned the tide in the back half of that game, where that looked like a Leafs team that had played 24 hours ago in Edmonton. And you know what? Hey, look, the Canucks have been victims of the schedule as well, right? So sorry, not sorry, from a Leafs standpoint. But for a team that has struggled to close out games, and how many times have we talked about this team struggling to close out games over the last month? You know what? They took care of business last night. And to do it without Elias Pettersson, to do it without their franchise player, that was a team effort last night. Yes, Thatcher Demko was good, but that was a team effort last night. You know, there weren't a lot of passengers to find in this one. No, I like their third period. I would argue the Leafs might have been the better team over the whole of the game, but not by much. And you know what? Everything evens out, they say, in sports, and it did. Because the Canucks deserved one that Monday in Toronto where they were the better team and collapsed for 11 seconds. And you go, you know what? They've played some hockey games where, and we've heard it, you know, we probably deserve more than we're getting. And they deserved that last night, and they get it. You know, if Demko doesn't make some key saves, when JT Miller loses that puck at the blue line, it's, okay, here we go. Great pad stack by Demko to make that save. Did it several times in the slot late in the period from Mitch Marner. You take it. They deserve it. It props them up. And what a week it's been again from your first win on Monday to deflating on Tuesday. It's all boiling over to the unexpected last night, which points them up to, all right, you know you're going to have a rested team. You're going to know you're going to have a, a desperate team a little bit in Toronto. Any more talented team? What can you do? Again, if you get on a run, Maybe we don't close the book on this season as quickly as people wanted to yesterday. Well, here was Jake Vertanen. Um, I, I think the comments that he said following the first period were the comments that really kind of caught everybody uh, or, or made people take notice on social media last night when mentioning Twitter warriors. But here was Jake Vertanen when asked about all the noise and the trade rumors surrounding him. I don't think that they're trying to showcase or anything like that. I think... You know, I think the uh, management has faith in me and uh, they've talked to me a little bit about that. But, you know, I want to try to stay a Canuck as long as I can. I love being here. love the guys in the room. Um, you know, a lot of good friendships in here and we're super tight. Um, you know, I feel like we have a strong team and we can go far. We just have to make sure we're playing good and um, all buying into the system. And tonight was, uh, tonight was a freaking good luck at that. So, yeah. So there's Jake Vertanen suggesting that I, I, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not being auditioned by the team. I don't know. That's not, that's not happening. No way. No way. Uh, Van City Zavid in Toronto saying so. Obviously, Jake's stock is up right now. 
look, I think a lot of people, I think if you're a realist, you're saying right now, sell high, sell high. I don't know if there's 30 NHL general managers that are ready to take the bait on just one game, but I will say this pair. Jake Vertanen has looked engaged this week. You know, it obviously was a strong game last night. He got results for it too with a pair of goals, but you know, over the last three games, Jake Vertanen's been significantly more noticeable than what we've seen in him in that malaise so far through the first five, six weeks of the season until this week. Uh, he comes out in the final two minutes, uh, the goalie pulled. He was a goal away from the trade trick, I was calling. It wasn't going to be a hat trick, possibly the trade trick. Everything that GMs go, wow, okay, hang on, Jake, turn it around yesterday with the goal. I would say engage, James, but I'll argue this. I mean, how high, how high is the bar for Vertanen? I mean, engaged is the word you say as soon as we saw Hoaglander play his first shift in the NHL. You go, all right, there's going. He's, he's flying around. Kalis looked like a young man who was engaged yesterday, made a mistake, and unfortunately, well, not his, Quinn Hughes pinching, and he gets back on D, doesn't help the situation. I mean, Jake saying there, you know, uh, management's talked to me a little bit, you know, saying that they want. Jake Vertanen has worn out a path to Travis Green's office in his entire career, be it in Utica or here. And they've done everything they can for this young man to say, hey, step up and get the job done. And the last thing was what they did for him in the summertime. Going, Here's your money. You got 18. We think you can do it. Go away in the summertime and get engaged with what you're doing and all your training. Um, and you just never see it. Last night, I'm sure for the last two weeks, it's been good. But I just think from an organizational standpoint, they can't say it. They, it's too late. You know, every morning I would think Benning goes, okay, anything with the head title on any of these emails that says, we want Jake, they would move him because coming up the ladder, a Pod Colson who will look engaged, and a Jake who's had too many chances. But good for him. Hey, maybe he rolls like this for three months and we stop it. I'm just past the point. Jake Vertanen cannot be here and won't be here next year. No, and, and it's just a question of whether or not you can ultimately pull the trigger. And then I think you also have to recognize if you're a Canucks fan, uh, you got to temper your expectations of what the return's going to be, right? Danton Heinen yeah. was the name, uh, obviously, from a week ago, and just to kind of see. Uh, here, here, by the way, is Jake on the Twitter Warriors. Oh, no, I you know I try not to worry about that, and you know I just try to go play my game. I know uh, you know a lot of people are all over that stuff, and uh, there's a lot of t- a lot of Twitter Warriors out there, so. I'm um, just gonna keep playing my game, and uh, you know I have great teammates that support me, and um, we're, we're gonna get through this and uh, have a good rest of the game here. There's the right. there's the ultimate warrior. There's the road warriors, and then there's the Twitter warriors pair. The warriors, you almost need a little Patty Smythe. The warriors. Yes. There you go. Come out to play, Twitter Warriors. But I think a lot of people had a chuckle on that. Hey, look, I'll say this. The one thing about Jake Vertanen is, man, for a kid in this market, like this market has wanted to fall in love with him, right? I think this market has wanted to fall in love with this guy. The hometown kid who makes good, that is a story that people can get behind. That is the story that sells community newspapers in every part of the world. But in 20, that's also it, he's also driven people nuts with the erratic and at, almost indifferent play over the last seven years. Yeah, in, in 20 years when his NHL career is done, if he does call Vancouver home, everybody's going to want to have a beer with Jake. He's just a big, likable guy. You want more for him. You want to root for them. You get tired of it because he's had so many chances and he's kind of, you know, people texting him, man, this team's just kind of breaking my heart. And the next thing they're they're back up here and I'm believing in him. Uh, hey, I think it is difficult for Jake to, and he has handled it 
very well because it hasn't been the big spotlight. You know, with Troy Stetcher, there was the love for Troy Stetcher, the hometown boy, the Richmond kid, but Troy Stetcher was never engaging in the spotlight, right? Jake's had it on him right since draft day, and it hasn't gone the right way. He's tried to work. He's given you glimpses. They're going, no, it won't work. Here you go. Yes, it will work. We made the decision. You know, Jim Benning calls him out. You don't think he's coming back. They give him the deal, and then here he is. He's in the lineup. He's not in the lineup. He gets a two-point game. You're cheering for him to get the hat trick last night. But all along, you go, going, yeah, he can't be here. He's got to move. It'll be addition by subtraction when Jake Vertanen leaves. And that's a sad thing, but I think it's a reality most people have realized. Uh, for sure. And, and look, I'll say this quickly. Thatcher Demko, uh, I think, uh, you know, the first of probably many games here. And, and I think if I could guess, you know, based on where Thatcher Demko is going, uh, I could see Thatcher Demko probably playing – he may not take a break and go the way the schedule goes until potentially the the games in Montreal or the next games against the Senators when they go back-to-back. I think the schedule might actually allow for Demko to get a run. Uh, much more on the Canucks uh, we'll get to at the bottom of the hour. Jim Benning also expected to uh, to meet with the media coming up at 10 o'clock, and he'll join the Scott Rintoul Show at 11 this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Lots of other huge news really over the last, what, I think over the last eight hours, really since the end of the the hockey game last night, uh, you know the Calgary Flames have made another coaching wow. change. Uh, how about this? The fifth head coach uh, in less than five years. Bob Hartley was relieved in May of 2016. Since then, Glenn Gullitson, Bill Peters, Jeff Ward, and last night Jeff Ward out in Calgary replaced by a name from the past, Daryl Sutter. So the Flames have been going off on an 18-wheeler, at least in the eyes of Calgary fans right now. I don't know if Jeff Ward was ever Brad Treliving's guy pair. Peter's dismissal, obviously a result of controversy rather than team struggles. But Ward came in in a panic. The team was so-so throughout. And when they obviously underachieved this year with Stanley Cup expectations, the window was clearly open to hit the ejection seat. You're limited in terms of who you can hire. I'm a Daryl Sutter guy. Like I like Daryl Sutter. He's kind of like hockey's Columbo for an older generation who can understand this reference. He kind of plays the naive farmer, but man, he is so competitive. He's fiery, and he gives an ish. He is a caring hockey man who will push this team he certainly got the results in L.A. He took a lunch bucket squad to the 2004 Cup Final as well. I mean, this is probably the best of a tough situation with Sutter not having to quarantine. I actually don't mind this play here. Um, I spoke with someone yesterday afternoon who was close to the organization, and you know, the topic of conversation is if there's a move coming in Calgary, what is it? Brad Treliving has tried everything in the offseason. I like what he tries to do. And the thought was, we're not sure who's who's appointed at the GM or does he get one more play with the coach? Because as you said, Brad, Brad, uh, Jim, Jim Treleving, Brad Treleving's guy was Bill Peters. A lot of people kind of were surprised at that, but Bill Peters was the guy he wanted to be behind the bench. And because Bill Peters and what had happened with nothing to do in Calgary, was removed, and what could Treleving do? All right, what do you want me to do, NHL? All right, to remove him. Ward goes in there, but he's not his guy. And then Ward has some sex success, so what do you do? you got to play the right card. Uh, I don't – listen, Daryl Sutter is old school. I thought, you know, Bill Peters was part of that whole Mike Babcock, old school doesn't work anymore. 
But if there is some friction in that dressing room, which there appears to be with kind of two sides, let's go on the Kachuk side, let's go on the older Giordano side, are we in this thing together? You needed someone to come in and go, here's what's going to happen. You're going to work like a dog. We're going to be tough to play against. And if that is not the way you play the hockey game, you're not going to play the game. Daryl Sutter's not changing his ways. So you know what you get. This is the last move in my mind for Treleving. The one surprising thing, it goes back to me, James, like when Tortorella was brought in. Okay. Tortorella, are you kidding me? You gave him five years? I'm surprised, but Sutter has got a big enough, you know, he's probably sitting on his tractor going, if you want me, it's going to cost you three years, and that's what he gets. Surprised at the move, especially after a win, but I, I guess it's what the totality of the season has been. You have to change it in Calgary. I think if there's somebody who can try to get the most out of a team right now uh, in a short period of time, I don't mind this play by the Flames. You know, does it scream desperation in some? Yeah, I think it does in some respects, but I actually I, I don't mind this play with Daryl Sutter getting behind the bench here. Uh, some other news. Hey, look, breaking news just coming down here in the last couple of minutes. Uh, first off, Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine has just become the fourth to receive Health Canada approval. So you get a vaccine, you get a vaccine, you get a vaccine. Hey, look, the more vaccines, the better for us to get into this country. But uh, breaking news here in the last few minutes uh, and, and some sad news here in the sports world. Last, uh, Chris Schultz, longtime uh, CFL analyst, NFL analyst, a fixture on TVs here in this country for the better part of the last quarter century. Pair, he has passed away at the age of 61. I worked with Schultz for a few years back at the old CFL and TSN days. And man, you know, former Dallas Cowboy, um, you know, multiple Grey Cup winner uh, in the CFL as well. Man, the big man for a reason. Six foot eight, uh, no-nonsense kind of guy, but a wonderful teammate. And so I think a lot of people listening would be certainly familiar with uh, Chris Schultz and his risky business. I mean, you look at the future of sports wagering here and gambling in this country. I mean, Schultz, he was kind of one of the OGs, you know, making picks, going into the weekends and that. Uh, died of a heart attack, only 61. I, I did a little bit of work with Chris, you know, when the odd time I'd be on the sidelines for, for football on TSN. You know, Mike English, who's our producer, was a, a producer and worked with Chris an awful lot at TSN. You know, you know, it's one of those things, and we'll get into, obviously, Walter Gretzky shortly, but I don't know, and, and James, when you were saying, that he just seemed to be the guy, and when I met him, it was always, man, this guy doesn't have a bad day, right? Just big, you know, the big guy, right? Some people handle that, but he was, here we are, how's everybody? Uh, always in a great mood, and it's just too young, man. I mean, there's just yeah. been so many people. It's just too young. But uh, tough news for everybody, um, and as you said, he comes in the living room. He's, he's a guy everybody seems to know. Right. Quick quick story, uh, kind of a no BS guy when he was playing with the Argos when Pinball Clements first got there. Anybody who's ever met Pinball Clements, just a wonderful personality. And Pinball is, hey, how are Like, you talk about a guy who never had a bad day. A pinball Clements, at least the optic, you know, just the way he is as a personality. And Pinball walked in and went over to Chris Schultz. And as the story goes, it was, hey, Chris, my name's Pinball Clements. I'm a huge fan. You are one of the greatest players. I was such a huge fan. And, and Schultz, he thought he was putting him on. So he just looks at him on the trainer's table. And he says, you get the HG double hockey sticks out of here right now. Scram, kid. And so a couple minutes later, Pinball comes back again. Hey, I'm really sorry we got started on the wrong foot. Look, I was a huge fan of yours. You're so good. You were just one of the best players going, you know what, kid? You know what, rookie? I've had enough of this. I'm going to strangle you right now, threatening to beat the crap out of Pinball Clemens until finally somebody had to stop Schultz and say, no, 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 no. 
he's this nice a guy. <laughs> but there was the big man ready to strangle him at that moment. Uh, he was a no BS guy, but when the cameras were on, he had lots of fun. And then the other story, man, I think one that hits home, I think, for every Canadian across this country. And if you're just a fan of the sport, Walter Gretzky has passed away at the age of 82. The most lovable hockey dad ever, Pear. This was a guy that, man, you talk about having that sort of rock star aura about him in the hockey world. It was unbelievable to see how people were drawn to him. He was almost like, you know, the hockey world's fun uncle. You know, trying to put in perspective how Walter became really Canada's hockey dad, and I'm thinking of all the other elite athletes, how you really, you know, I don't think Walter, where's the camera, Wayne? I want to get in front of it. He's not LeVar Ball, right? It's just he was that lovable guy that never really changed. You know, it was in the last 12 months that the Tiger documentary came out. I always thought that was terrible because that meant everybody was going to take their kid to the driving range at age two, give him a club and try and have him swing the plastic club and go, oh, this is how he's going to become one of the best in the world. Then you heard how Earl referred to Tiger. Oh, my son is the gift to the world. You know, Wayne changed the game, but Walter was kind of there to just go, oh, yeah, no, I'm just hanging out. I don't think Walter ever changed with all the success that Wayne had. And there are parents and in our business, James, you know how all of a sudden son's the superstar and the parents, oh, let's keep dad away from here and mom has this. Uh, just a guy who, you know, in my time in Edmonton, I was part of scrums when Walter was there. When the scrums would end, it would not end. Walter would just keep on talking and talking. And I think Wayne Gretzky lost his best friend. I don't think he ever called him dad very often. And the public eye was just Wally. And Wally was uh, a guy that most people, if you met or didn't meet, I thought, boy, he seems like a guy that's just loving. Let's get the backyard rink going and talk about those times. So a tough, tough loss. Ron McLean is a, is a family friend of the Gretzky's. He'll join us at 7. But you're right, man. Like, any bad Walter Gretzky stories? Never heard him. No, no. And, and just... You know, I I took part in the Walter Gretzky street hockey tournament years back. Um, you know, just having had a chance to meet him a few times, he always just came across as almost seeming like he was more excited to talk to you than you were to him. And yet, you know, as a kid who was a huge Gretzky fan, the first time I had a chance to meet Walter Gretzky, I was like, oh, my God, it's Walter Gretzky. Like, you know, he, just somebody who was a household name and for a guy who never played a minute in the National Hockey League, was never a hockey analyst, was never a hockey broadcaster. Everybody knew who Walter Gretzky was, and to see him when he was in packed arenas, if they showed him on the jumbo screen, you know, he got a big pop from the audience. Uh, just he will be missed, and um, yes, we'll definitely catch up with Ron coming up in about 40 minutes from now to talk to him. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Pair, Canucks in a song. What song best sums up the performance on the ice last night at Rogers Arena? The trap game for the lease, if you will, and a, and a one that – Kind of surprised a lot of people, but man, they pulled one out last night, beating the the best team in the North Division, and a, and a solid way to kind of finish things out. What do you got for a? What's your track this morning? Well, it was pretty simple after watching that one because we spoke all day in the previous forty eight hours ago. This is the worst case scenario. The Leafs are coming to town. You're not going to do anything. So I went Google search. Give me a song that has this. I love the band, but I'll tell you, I can't remember seeing this when I watched him in concert. Sands the makeup. Give me a little kiss. Shock me. Shock me.
Shock me, didn't see it coming. They got the job done. Kiss, shock me, my connection is off. Man, that's kind of just a, a dirty, forgotten kiss track, man. Like, man, you oh, yeah. had to dig that. You had to dig that up. I love it. I love uh, I it, I had a man. chuckle. I had a chuckle, man. I don't think the shock me was about a sporting event when they wrote it. My kids chirp me. Uh, they, they, they're kind of indifferent to ever wanting to listen to me uh, or listen to this show. And, uh, well, which some people probably in the car go, and not surprising, Sabalski. But they, uh, every once in a while, they, they, I'll ask them and say, what's the Dunbar Lumber text line? 650, 650. So they're, nice. I know, I know they're, they're listening a little bit. Um, but here's one way I can get them to listen. One of their favorite songs. If we play this in the car, if we play this in the Honda Odyssey from Surrey Honda, everybody gets bumping, everybody sings along, and it's dedicated to the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. He had a pair of snipes last night. This one goes out to Shotgun Jake. It's George Ezra's Shotgun. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like someone. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like someone. Spotlight on Jake last night, Pear, and, and he delivered and showcase shotgun Jake is now showcase Jake and uh a nice uh, a nice moment for him to shine in the sun and uh and delivering uh, a win and a much needed one uh here in this market. I'm surprised that gets the family going. Really? They love that the song. Girls, man. The girls like that song. They right, get bounced. Yeah. Crank it, Dad, really. Oh yeah. Like homegrown, okay. oh yeah, they 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 all they all sing it, all all the age. I feel like maybe the twelve year olds kind of at the stage. I'm not singing in the car anymore. I ain't doing that. Starting Get your Canucks in the songs. Yeah, a lot of good songs coming in here. It's just crazy how one win can change everything. I was gonna say, like I never want to take hope away. Not on a Friday, you know it's good. Uh, but Monday could, you know, there could be a bus in the city if they can pull it off again against the Toronto Leaf. The task is big. But I think everyone looked at the schedule and said, oh, you're not going to get nothing from Toronto. You're not going to get anything from Edmonton. Start getting these wins. Start putting it together. And to get it done, as you said, and very briefly, you know, how deflated was everyone? All right, they've got Toronto. Oh, hang on. Pedersen's not playing. We're nowhere. And give some credit to JT Miller, as Travis Green did. Maybe not the game where you want to do things offensively, but you roll into center with the opposing centers that they have on the top two lines. Uh, Job done by him. Job done by the complete hockey team. All right, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock. Get your submissions in. A lot of them coming in. We'll try to get to some of those here in just a few minutes. Uh, Jim Benning is going to meet with the media this morning. We'll get into that and much, much more. Still ahead on your home of the Canucks. It's Friday, people, here on Sportsnet 650. No sense bitching, right? Nobody's going to listen to you. Like to score more than one goal. <laughs> score two. Regular season doesn't mean screw all to me, quite honest. Nobody died, and it's a hard-working point for our team. It's just a game. It's not life or death. It's just a game. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Ready to roll. How old will he make with Jacob Markstrom? That attitude of Daryl Sutter. New head coach of Calgary. I like it. I, I'm actually okay with it. I mean, I think the fact that the Flames have just continually blamed coaches, maybe even at times that coaches aren't to blame, but this is what, the fifth coach in less than five years, uh, all in kind of different circumstances. 
you know, at some point you need a little bit of stability, a little bit of continuity. What did I see last night? Greg Wyshynski from ESPN pointing out on social media, Jeff Blaschel of the Detroit Red Wings is now the third longest tenured coach in the National Hockey League. Really? <laughs> is it that crazy? Like, he's like, you talk about the guy who defines that Elton John, I'm still standing. Jeff Blaschel somehow. It's, I wonder if it's almost like, did they forget about him? Well, part of that is, though, right? When you come there and you're in a rebuild, you get to buy yourself three or four years. I mean, how long did we go before we finally said, okay, now Travis Green gets to be part of the conversation, right? You come and you're rebuilding, you, you buy yourself three years. I think today Mike Babcock, somewhere in Saskatchewan or on one of his farms in Ohio, uh, is going, honey, yeah, no, no, honestly, maybe just one year at the University of Saskatchewan, they just got Sutter for three. And John Tortorella is going, you know, this may not be my last job if they get rid of me in Columbus. Like, chalk one up for the old school guys that Daryl Sutter's got himself a three-year deal in Calgary. Well, we kind of thought, you know what, that way of coaching, it just doesn't work anymore. The game has changed. You can't treat players like that. Uh, there's a long list of people who have played for Daryl Sutter that will quietly go, oh, no, it doesn't work for me. But if that's the problem in Calgary, I don't think everyone, James, is doing backflips. So we'll talk to Eric Francis later on in that dressing room. But, hey, deal with it. Work hard, you play. He has success, and he gets guys to the promised land. We'll see if he can change in Calgary. My, my first thought was initially – I could see this maybe just being till the end of the season and then Meg Babcock stepping in because he kind of comes from that Bill Peters school. Uh, would Tre Living go down that road in the summer? Uh, has enough time passed to allow Babs to kind of get back in here? But Daryl Sutter signing a three-year deal, so this is obviously not going to be just for, what, 30 games. This is obviously a little longer than that. Uh, 634, uh, as mentioned, we'll head to Calgary in an hour from now with the latest in the the method to the madness with Eric Francis. Ron McLean will join us just after 7. But this morning, it's time for a little Seaball Says. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650. Well, after over a month of wearing the cloak of invisibility, Canucks General Manager Jim Benning will speak with members of the media later this morning and then will appear on the Scott Rintoul Show here on Sportsnet 650 at 11 this morning. Where the hell you been? Yeah, I was asking this question earlier this week because Benning's last public comments appeared in a post-media article by Ben Kuzma back on February 4th. Since then... The Canucks had lost 10 of the last 14 games. It's been a bad look with a leader MIA while the team sinks like a rock in the ocean. Now, I can understand why there's a reluctance to roll Benning out right now. He struggles at the best at times and hasn't really shown any improvement in the PR game since taking over seven years ago. But with increased expectations and a reeling hockey team, Benning also needs to be accountable and way more than he's been. Now comes word from Darren Drager over the past 18 hours that Vancouver is exploring the prospect of keeping winger Tanner Pearson. Stop. What the hell are you talking about? Now, with the trade deadline looming April 12th, is this really the news that fans want to hear? Reports suggesting that talks haven't started yet, but this disgruntled fan base is more about chasing future assets than hanging on to status quo. Now, Pearson's a tradable asset. He offers value. Could also clear up nearly $4 million in cap space. 
And there's also the dilemma of what's a palatable number to keep a player in a flat cap world that's better suited as a third line player, especially at the age of 29 next year. Then there's also the dilemma going forward as to how the Canucks will ultimately fill out their roster in the years ahead. Up front, four slots in the top six are accounted for. And then if you add in Hoaglander and the soon-to-be-coming Vasily Podkolzin, you could argue that's six of your top nine. But there are still lots of holes that need filling, especially come July 2022 when all those bloated veteran contracts will expire. We need, by the way, to find some time that particular day when those contracts expire and have some sort of celebration, right? Let them go. Now, there are other prospects like Rathbone and Lynn showing some signs of promise, but we've heard this before, right? And there's no guarantees. Benning has gone too long without facing the music. It is time to answer some tough questions. Today is that day, and it's about time to figure out what the plan is. Because as Dr. Bonnie told us yesterday... Maybe I'm too optimistic, but we're going to be in our post-pandemic world by the summer. And we loved hearing that. Fans will be back in the building soon enough. And everybody will be able to vote on the state of this team once again with their wallets soon enough. And that's this morning's Seaball Says. Jim Benning, a, a decent puck-moving defenseman when he played in the NHL. What he is not deft at is stick handling. That's questions from the media. And really what he has to do today is stick handle. Jim, what are you doing? Are you buying? Are you selling? What are you doing? Jim, are you doing it, right? I mean, he has to go into this today, obviously, that he's got a lot of moves he has to make. But is he making those moves? It's not his call. Is he having those conversations with Pat Prasongo? Okay, what might it look like for Quinn Hughes? And what might it look like for Pedersen? You know, is he exploring the trade options? Hey, uh, all right, Uncle Daryl's in Calgary. Flames, you interested? Again, we talked about it before. Might it work out? Is there something that's there? Uh, it'll be curious to see. But honestly, James, you think we're getting an answer from Jim Benning towards any of it? We're getting an appearance, and I think it's the right time because where has he been? This team's been bad. Trust me, he walked down from GM Place yesterday, GM Place, Rogers Arena, kind of going, huh, thank goodness we got to win. That'll make it a little bit easier. We're not going to completely say the season is gone. But honestly, I don't think we get any kind of answer. He'll have to stick handle. And if he doesn't, it's because he's made a mistake and, and gives us something to chew on. Yeah, I understand the logic when you're trying to have a conversation about maybe Tanner Pearson returning into the fold. Like, you know, Tanner Pearson's been a solid Vancouver Canuck, right? Probably playing too high in the lineup, but all things considered, you know, Tanner Pearson was a 20-goal scorer last year playing with Bo Horvat. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I think on a Stanley Cup contender, you know, Tanner Pearson's in your top nine, but probably in that seven, eight, nine sort of slot as opposed to playing in the top six. But what sort of dollar figure could you even foresee in a flat cap world to keep Tanner Pearson at a number that everybody would say, okay? Because I feel like even 3.75 would probably feel a little rich for this team with what he's making right now, right? Like is three million okay for a guy that's no. playing on your third line? Yeah, that's and that's it, right? I'm thinking, you know, if you can, you know, if he's back at two and a half, I think you could live with. But I don't think you want to touch Tanner Pearson at 
I don't know if you want to go down that road with $4 million a year for Tanner Pearson or recognizing that the cap is flat, do you take a shorter-term deal? That That's where I think the, the initial reaction for that yesterday going, uh, I think it might be just easier to say we'll cut bait and we'll move on here. Canucks have some serviceable players at the bottom six. The problem is their numbers are all completely out of whack. I thought Jay Beagle had one of his better hockey games except for that stupid penalty. But that's great. That would have been a great Jay Beagle hockey game if he was playing at 1.8 at $2 million, right? That's what hurts this team. Credit to the Leafs and what they have and what they pay for their bottom six and what they get out of them. Tanner Pearson was forced into a role that they didn't have because the, the you know top six was really not legitimate. So he gets in there and and finds some success with Bo, so he stays there. But if, if your long-term plan is Tanner Pearson in the top six, there's no way. And how many people are going, Tanner Pearson's my guy? Like, everyone's going to see. Credit to Pearson, to Myers, to Sutter. They were playing the game at the right time where the money was handed out, and they got a desperate hockey team that needed them. Do you say you have a conversation with Pearson, but how are you replacing him? It's not that the bar is that high, and maybe Tanner Pearson goes, this is the best fit. Are you a GM across the NHL going, this is the one guy we need? Because no really good hockey team is looking at as a top six guy. And what are you playing your bottom six? I don't think, I think 2.5 is as high as you go. Three million, if he can get it, good for him, but don't give it to him here in Vancouver. But the question is, is Jim making those decisions? And he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's got to work like he is. Uh, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of people jumping in. We'll try to get to those in a moment. And also, we'll crunch the numbers. We're playing Stat Me Up on this Friday morning next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Grab your calculators because it's time to Stat Me Up on the starting lineup. Here's James Cebulski, Perry Solkowski, and the million-dollar man, Scott Brown. All right, 647 on this Friday morning. Ron McLean will join us just after 7. Canucks big winners last night, but time to crunch the numbers with Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing, the 2021 version of the Million Dollar Man. Everybody's got a price, right, Scotty? You betcha. I'm watching that show, and I'm thinking Billy Joel, sometimes a fantasy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think when you beat the when you beat a team that's almost 20 points ahead of you in the standings, yeah. Last night did kind of feel a little fantasy style. Guys, I started off with a little bit of uh, a number. How about five million? Roethlisberger to a wide open Claypool. Claypool inside the five to the end zone. His second touchdown today. 32 yards from Roethlisberger. As Scott will tell us in a couple of minutes, five million will get you uh, 900 square feet in Vancouver. But it will keep Ben Roethlisberger with the Pittsburgh Steelers because Roethlisberger said hey man I'll take that pay cut if that's what it's going to take for me to be a quarterback for one more year let's defer that so Big Ben who got off to such a start with that football team and then father time caught up with them man you're in a situation with some of these quarterbacks we're seeing it. It, it it's dead money if you don't have them there so he restructures his contract Big Ben will have the farewell with people in the stands with the Pittsburgh Steelers next year I don't know if I agree with the guys but he gets his farewell season. It'll be yeah, you're not, but that that speaks to just the lack of depth at the quarterback position for starters, right? You know, it, ben, Big Ben is still a better option than what's out there, clearly, for the Steelers. Yeah, well, and you, you sign him. He's made that much money. You sign him and go, okay, if he's not here, it's dead money against us. Yeah, if I'm a if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm not all that thrilled with this situation, right? Yeah, but, what's, Mason, but what's, what, what, what's your alternative? 
Because what, James, that's the exact thing. What is your alternative once you sign him to a big uh, ticket? You're uh, done. If you're well, not you, going to play him, you're big money, right? Okay, but you, you you lose the moral high ground to complain about a transaction if you can't offer a better alternative. Yeah, there's there's no chance. You're stuck with them, right? They're, you're you're stuck with them. Scotty, it's over hard, to you, like, man. <laughs> I remember when somebody offered me a job I wanted, and I summarized and said, "Okay, so that's first prize." He goes, "Yeah, what do you think?" I said, "What's second prize?" <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the number ten in the spirit of your airtime that you gave to Mr. Greg yesterday. Verhage finds the man creeping in in front. Big stop by Vasilevsky. Got the glove on it. Top 10 fantasy goalies. Let's check in on according to the NHL app. Uh, you know, you got Vasilevsky at one, Grubauer at two, Flurry at three, Varlamov at four, Hellebuck's hanging in the top five. Rask is playing better than we thought, and he's hanging in at six. Bennington, Anderson, Markstrom at nine, and then Chicago's goalie, Kevin Lankinen. So, no Canuck in the top 25, but I do think we play Demko more now, and we get ready for that to change. Or is that just a fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But none in the 25. I couldn't believe that. I thought one of them had to sneak in there. No. it's Vasilevsky's been unbelievable this year, right? And, and it's funny. I think sometimes in the market location, you kind of fly under the radar. But even with the Stanley Cup, I think, I think sometimes we just kind of forget about Andre Vasilevsky. And he is huge. Yeah, he's like the human shooter tutor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. Uh, nice shout-out to Greg Ballack as well. Uh, okay, my number this morning, boys and girls, it is the number 376. Now here's Bertano down the left wing, right to the front of the goal. It's behind Hutchison, and it's in the net. Well, there's a shotgun Jake now, showcase Jake, if you will, scoring his first goal at Rogers Arena since February 22nd. 2020. That was a span of 376 days since we have last seen Jake Bertanen score a goal on home ice. It's been a minute. So we take from that he's he's much but he, he there's Twitter warriors and Jake is a road warrior. <laughs> Too much pressure <laughs> yeah. at home. Yeah, he, he needs he needs to blow off steam on the road. I think uh, that that that's the answer. What do you got for real estate number, Scotty? Well, the story continues, and it's you know, about a week or so from when we went into the, the COVID swan dive last March. But So my number six. So six consecutive months, when we look at the suburban markets like the Fraser Valley, uh, the market experienced property sales levels never seen before in the 100-year history of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. So a 100-year 100 100-year record. 2,815 sales, 108% increase over February 2020, which was actually a good February. 64% over what was already a record January in 2021. So put that in historical perspective. Sales in February were 88% higher than the 10-year average for that month and 18% higher than the previous record, which it does feel like that right now, February 2016, because 16 went off and then into 17. And we're kind of feeling like we're in that pattern again. Uh, let's go closer to Vancouver, though, uh, for those that are more in the central markets. Another good month for the real estate board uh, reporting for Grant for Vancouver. 3,727 sales, 73% increase from last February, and 56% increase from the hot January. So it's both are steady. It's the Valley's just setting all-time records, but Vancouver's posting, you know, top five, top ten fantasy results, if you will. Uh, 
you know, it's an, it's a seller's market right now. Just call it what it is. There's not enough supply. Prices are obviously there for you. You've got on some product types, multiple offer situations, particularly on the townhomes. But I can sense when we're talking in March, we're probably going to be saying that about the condominium market as well. Scotty, are part of those crazy numbers in the Valley simply because so many people have, have kind of been pushed out? So it's almost like being part of an expansion team and you're going, oh, it's, the, it's another new record because they haven't been there and, and we're putting so many new buildings up in that area? Yeah, I think there's two, two or three things. It's a good point. One is that the suburbs are not, you remember that old ad with William Shatner when they were trying to sell his Oldsmobiles and his daughter was in the ad and she said, this is not my father's Oldsmobile. Mm-hmm. The suburbs yes. have changed a lot. You know, you go to Port Moody and look at the microbrewing community. You go to Abbotsford, they have one in historic downtown. So it's not a big default to move away. Plus, your reasons to be downtown. Downtown Vancouver is actually becoming a very expensive but fun amenity to visit once or twice a week for many, many people. Their life doesn't need to be there anymore. Um, I do think we'll see some people have gone a neighborhood too far uh, with COVID and their work allowances. But it's not just that. It's the population is growing. We don't have enough housing. Uh, people, the low interest rates. And we have an aging population. And every month, someone is either getting money from their parents or, unfortunately, there's some type of an inheritance. And that's fueling the market as well. This is all without what's going on in Hong Kong and all the foreign buyers and those Canadian passport holders. What happens when that comes back? And this same thing, I was in Victoria this week for essential work. Same thing in that market. Uh, and then I'm talking to my friends in the Okanagan. It's the same thing. The whole province is just on fire. And it's not fueled by investment the way it used to be, like no. in the 2000s. You're right. And, and it's one of those, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a notary uh, recently and kind of made the point that, you know, everybody keeps complaining that, you know, this place is, you know, it's so expensive, it's so expensive. But there are a lot of people here that can afford the property and the real estate. And I think a lot of people in the city are seeing, you know, what we've experienced over the last year saying, I want a little more space. Suddenly suburbia doesn't seem so bad when you're also able to work from home. Uh, hey, have a great weekend and uh, see if uh, we can uh, find a way for the home team to uh, spank the, the evil Leafs uh, again tomorrow. Well, I'll be tuned in for sure. <laughs> it's the first time I haven't been at that game in person in like a, about 15 years because my, my middle son, Aiden, is a huge Leaf fan. So every year's birthday gift in February is we go to that game. And then I'm sitting with a bunch of Leaf fans in my Canuck jersey. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like we need to have an intervention for your son. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> okay. Take care, Scotty. Thank you, Scotty. Okay, bye. There he is, Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing, joining us this morning. It's a little stat me up. Uh, Ron McLean from Hockey Night in Canada will join us next on the passing of uh, Canada's most lovable hockey dad, Walter Gretzky, plus the Canucks back finding their winning ways again, courtesy of Jake Vertanen and Thatcher Demko. It's all still ahead. So hour number two next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Gaudette gets it into the Toronto zone. Vertanen, sharp angle, he scores. As the Vancouver Canucks have defeated the top team in the NHL, these guys are here to break it all down. Demers a great goalie. He uh, he played really well tonight. He made a couple big saves for them. Um, you know, we had had some quality opportunities there, especially in the end. Um, you know, he came up big. So uh, sometimes you just gotta tip your hat. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner, ladies and gentlemen. The weekend. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. 
Three minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Friday morning. What's happening, everybody? Uh, James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, uh, Canucks picking up a uh, big win uh, over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they've now won two of their last three. And if you want to follow the miracle pattern that they would need to kind of run with in order to get into the playoffs. Playoffs! Playoffs! They do, in theory, need to win two out of every three games going forward. So if you want to look at the small sample size of the last three games, Perry, mission accomplished. Playoffs. Hal against what you and I would both agree, I think, are the the top two teams in the North Division. Right? I, I like that Winnipeg team. Good, solid right throughout. And the Leafs record is what the Leafs record is. They've beaten the two best teams. There's no reason that the Vancouver Canucks cannot go on the run and push for fourth, even third spot. That's what I'm saying on this Friday. No, listen, they've played some good hockey and should have been leaving with points, and they didn't. I really liked their third period yesterday. I'm not convinced they were the better hockey team. They had the better goalie. So take two. Regroup. Let's see what we're talking about Monday morning. But if you beat Toronto again tomorrow night, James then all of a sudden let's go with the confidence and see if they can get on that run that we've been desperately waiting to see if they can find. But give them credit to take advantage of a team that played three and four nights and leaving with the two points that they deserve. Thatcher Demko uh, obviously standing out uh, again, uh, really just allowed uh, more than two goals in a game just once in the last five starts now for Demko. And, you know, credited uh, credited uh, for having a little rest and feeling rested after this one. This was a situation I, I don't think I've ever had uh, two days off before a game like that. But, um, you know, with the season kind of going the way it's going, I, uh, with all the games and stuff, you know, we play a lot. So, um, you know, I was happy to, to take the day there and, um, you know, felt rested a little bit more than I probably would have if I had skated. And, um, you know, it's just learning about what I, I need to do to, to prepare on a game day and, um, you know, just kind of taking steps in that area too. So for all the outrage that everybody had for Braden Holpe getting that start uh, in the second Winnipeg game, you know, Braden Holpe kind of spoke about kind of the benefits that he had getting that extra day's rest. Yeah, and hey, I'll eat it. Uh, I'll eat it Saturday night if Thatcher Demko wins because I thought Travis Green should have coached a little bit more desperate. You just had a guy with a shutout. You should have played him against Winnipeg to see if you can build off that first win. But if indeed this was the coaching staff's mindset that the extra day will be okay and we'll be able to get him to go on a run here the way the schedule is set up, I'll eat it. I'll go great play. Uh, you need to win. Uh, it, he played great again. I, I'm not convinced that he can't play back-to-back. But when the goalie sounds like he's rested and, and is applauding the time off and plays the way he did, he was good throughout and the timely saves. JT Miller gives that puck away on the power play, and it's the 2-1-1. One, one. The pad stacker makes that save, keeps everybody in it, keeps them alive. And it almost seemed, it was a game last night, James, where you're going, geez, the, yeah, they missed Pedersen on the power play, controlling and, and getting the entry. But you go, okay, you lived without it. It almost seemed like they worked harder because number 40 wasn't in the lineup and you didn't have him to depend on to do something out of the ordinary when they're kind of skating in the mud. Uh, it's six minutes after seven o'clock here on this Friday morning. Uh, we bring in, as we always do on Friday mornings here on Sportsnet 650, uh, man, the, the maestro, if you will, of Hockey Night in Canada, Mr. Ron McLean, uh, um, with a bit of a heavy heart, I would say this morning here, Ron, after uh, a guy who felt like a family member for, I think a lot of hockey fans around the world has, uh, said goodbye. 
Yeah, absolutely, James. I was saying to Greg as we were getting ready to come on that there's probably 20 million Canadians have enjoyed a moment with Walter. He was relentless after his aneurysm in 1991 to come and pay it forward for all the great care that he received from doctors and nurses after that stroke slash aneurysm. And he, he was an amazing individual and sitting there watching the third period of last night's game and thinking about Walter and all the great times, whether it was not, especially the Olympics. For some reason, it's funny, all the you know, glory years, as you know, Perry, uh, in Edmonton means so much to us Albertans. Um, but I kind of associate Wayne with the growth of the international game too, whether it's the World Juniors, especially the Olympics. So in 98 in Nagano, just the joy of Walter in his roots jacket and his hat. There was a funny story of Charlie Henry was his running mate. Charlie owned the Hull Olympics. And uh, in fact, Pat Burns on his deathbed took off his Stanley Cup ring, gave it to Jason, his son, and then said, you be sure to thank the Gretzkys, not just Wayne, thank the Gretzkys and Charlie Henry. Uh, so those two were... From the time Wayne was 10, Charlie Henry used to help get Wayne over to Montreal Expo's baseball games because he loved baseball. And Walter and Charlie were in Nagano, and they were going down the street, Walter singing Irish Eyes or smiling, and Charlie said, take off your tam and put it down in front of you like you're a music busker. And so he did, and a woman put some money in the hat, and Walter was trying to give it back, and just so much <laughs> mischief uh, uh, at various Olympics. Uh, I could go on about Torino, too, in 2006, had an incredible night at Camillo's Bar after Canada got bounced. But great guy, and uh, as you said, I think everybody feels... Uh, and I and I, I have said this. I said it to Ken and uh, Danielle last night on Sportsnet Central. Uh, there are a lot of times uh, in our walk of life you think, like, what's the purpose? What is the meaning, or why is it even worth it? It's such a trivial pursuit sport. Uh, but the Gretzkys make you feel uh, that there's a real reason, just like the humble Broncos made you feel that there's a, a real significance and uh, value. So. God love him, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Wayne flew home. He phoned, actually, on the morning of uh, Scotiabank Hockey Day to say that he was back in Brantford to keep that low key. But uh, So we all kind of knew that they were going to have a, a wonderful send-off, and they did. You know, Ron, it's just, you know, listening to you last night and, and the memories I have of, of seeing Walter around in Edmonton, I'm thinking, you know, why there's been so many great athletes and in the sport of hockey where it's such a family game. It's not simply because Wayne was the greatest. I mean, in part, why is it Walter, the hockey dad that we know? And you don't, you know, you don't think much about, you know, Sid's father or Connor's dad and everybody else. But Wally was the guy. Was it just the time and place, or was a lot of it just the the charismatic personality that he had? Because he never seemed to be a bother. He was always, let's go talk to him. He's fun. Yeah, I, I do think that that family idea was, like if you go to his book, Walter Gretzky's book, after the aneurysm, he writes one kind of to be a spokesperson for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, but the cover photo is of him sitting on a, a bench of hockey sticks, and the subtitle is On Family, Hockey, and Healing. But he puts family first, which is like the Bronco Covenant, right? I think, and not, that isn't to say that Doug... Or wasn't the same way because he was. And I, I spend a lot of time around Troy Crosby and Trina and, you know, their love of the game and their attention to the detail. But they're, they're a little more buttoned down. Same with the McDavid's. Kelly's probably a little funnier than Brian about things because, you know, they just have to be serious. Whereas uh, Walter, especially after 91, uh, just had a, a mischief. Uh, he put you at ease. As I say, hockey royalty, elegance without the pretense. And that, that was a great... Uh, strength of his to make you feel comfortable to lift you up he would just bounce from person to person and valued everybody 
incredibly. And I think, yeah, I don't know if it was because he wanted to do his duty for the heart and stroke or if he just that second lease on life gave him this kind of an angel presence but he he was definitely the most comforting person to be around just like you were at a hockey rink with uh with your own parent ron mclean here on uh, sportsnet 650 that that there was just an aura about walter that you know it's funny ron like you know I, like he gary bettman kind of talked about this this morning saying like he never stepped foot on an nhl ice as a player or didn't coach wasn't an analyst but man just how excited people got when he walked into a room or you know i think back to the days like i go back 12 years ago when i was covering the leafs you know if walter was at the old air canada center now scotia bank arena my goodness he'd get a mob around him you know they'd show him on the big screen run like you know the crowd would go nuts like he just had an aura about him um that just it was just authentic like it was just there was just a he was just real, and and on that topic, you know, Jean Beliveau refused to be the governor general, and I and I always felt that in a way it was a break because it kept Beliveau sort of in lockstep with just the game. With we all we all love sports in a lot of ways because it takes us to our childhood, uh, and and that sort of innocence and that uh, passion for play. Uh, that's what Walter represented by not getting, you know, involved in the <laughs> cutthroat beast of being a GM or a coach in the National Hockey League. He was preserved. Um, and that isn't to say he didn't have a significant role in Wayne's career, for sure. And Keith and Brent have, you know, had careers in the pro game as well. So he, he played a part. But, yeah, I think he, he maintained, much like Beliveau, a sort of a mystery. And uh, and yet it was just a very approachable mystery. And that W. Gretzky Gosh, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a billion times, that autograph. And every time I'd look and then I realized, well, that's that's not Wayne Gretzky. That's Walter who has signed for some lucky fan. Uh, Ron McLean joins us as he does every Friday. We talk about the passing of Walter Gretzky last night. Ron, you know, you, you think of another father and, and the juxtaposition. Earl Woods, I always thought, oh, boy. You know, we've seen the video. You're going to have kids. And we saw it. And Malcolm Gladwell comes up with the 10,000 hours Kids at two are going to have a golf uh, club in their hand, and and dads are going to be throwing golf balls at them, and and be kind of that that army mentality sergeant. Get better, get better. You know, we we see the backyard videos of Wayne. Was there a push side to Walter? Um, maybe that we didn't hear much of to get Wayne well, there, or was it just pure love of the game and support your son? Well, there's a lot to that. Uh, for sure, he facilitated Wayne's excellence, and he could see that Wayne was special, so he would carry him in his skates from game to game. So he went out of his way to take that opportunity that was given. Uh, he, he taught him a lot of the tricks of the trade. You know, uh, Wayne, it was so great to go over to Wayne's house at 42 Variety and see all the trophies of his father as a Princeton Panther or a Woodstock Warrior. He was a good athlete, so he would teach Wayne how to dipsy doodle around Javex bottles strung from the two nets, uh, little things like that. He, he had a slogan that he would always say to the kids, live later, work now. Um, so there was a work ethic, a, d- a definite work ethic. And Wayne was relentless, you know, because of his own pride and performance. He, he was a great runner as Kim was, uh, both of them excelled in running in Wayne's case, cross country. Um, and I think he did push uh, in, in a, the very best way. You know, he, he gave him advice on his stick. He would notice if Wayne wasn't hunched over enough by the lie of the stick he was using. And so attention to detail was significant in, in the growth of Wayne as a hockey player. So you, you can't say that he didn't put in that Malcolm Gladwell 
10,000 hours. Uh, he did, and he was very much, uh, as, as Wayne said, as I said last night, Wayne says, it wasn't God-given, my talent, it was Wally-given. So there was, for sure, uh, a commitment to it. And it's no different than when I watched the McDavid's you know, they, they had two great young athletes, uh, but in the case of Connor, when he was in the garage hour upon hour, skating in circles and using his inline skates and firing at the uh, chipboard wall, same with uh, Troy and Trina with Sydney, you know, shooting into the dryer, um, you see it. You, you, you recognize uh, the kid's passion for it, and then you promote it. Ron, uh, some news just coming down in the last couple minutes uh, in the hockey world. Brent Seabrook has announced that he will be unable to uh, continue his hockey career. Um, Tawasa native uh, out here on this side of the uh, on this side of the country. Um, I, I would I would say that Seabrook probably the fourth most important piece of that that Stanley Cup dynasty team. Uh, Taves, Kane, Keith, and probably Seabrook. And you'd throw Patrick Sharp in there to kind of round out the top five, but I would probably say Seabrook was probably the mo- the fourth most important piece of those three cups. Yes, uh, because you, you allow Duncan Keith to be Duncan Keith by having a great, now he was offensive. Brent yeah. had a cannon, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but he was in a way, he was the, the responsible uh, stop check uh, on that tandem. And, and he, you know, I'll never forget him in, uh, I believe it was the 2013 run when they were down 3-1 in the series to Detroit and Jonathan Taves getting a little unglued and had taken his third penalty of the game and sitting there in the penalty box in walks Seabrook, leaning into the penalty box and patting John on the head and saying, come on, we need you, John. Uh, settle down. It's not over. And that's his leadership. So that that always goes back to what Trotje used to say, can't all be the MVP on the team, but you can be the best teammate. And if I was to pick the best teammate of that group of three Stanley Cup winning Chicago Blackhawks, there's your guy. Yeah, I'd, I'd give him the nod over over Corey Crawford in that, in terms of because Seabrook was there for all three, Crawford was there for just the two. But yeah, no, I mean, and what Brent's kind of gone through and overcome, and even with the health issues that his own dad here has has overcome over the last couple of years, uh, you know, Brent deserves a break and uh, has represented uh, you know the BC community well and and especially Delta hockey as well. Yeah, Ron, are you surprised you're talking about uh, a Sutter again behind the bench? Uh, go on. What's the story? Well, in with, Anaheim? with with Daryl Daryl now the Flames' new new head boss. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I just think he's uh, again. I I go back to that whole. You know why why do you think the game is worth it? The Sutter family is another family I could point to, uh, and Daryl just his ability, you guys to to change uh, the game by, by seeing who's on the ice and in what role. There's no better bench boss. boss. Keenan got a lot of his gift from Daryl Sutter. Um, so he's a, yeah, just a first-rate bench manager. Uh, he he kind of represents, I think he's a perfect fit. Like they always, Bobby Clark used to say, you've got to be the right person for the right city. Obviously, he's right where he belongs in the Stampede City. So not surprised. Uh, and it's funny, even watching, you know, Vancouver last night, you were talking earlier about, Without Patterson, uh, certain guys, you know, t- paying attention to detail, and they're kind of inching their way out, aren't they? It's just, you know, Demko had they had Demko in net for that back-to-back game against Winnipeg, maybe they're three and zero in this stretch, uh, where they're trying to work their way back in. So those things are important. I think I think there's a feeling, honestly, there's a feeling in the community that Julian's firing is a surprise, but it's very difficult when, like Dave Lewis experienced in Detroit, when the assistant takes over. Uh, 
a coaching reins, it's just a that's a tough circumstance. It, it sure is. Um, nice to catch up as always. Um, lots going on, man. It's been a, it's been a wild uh, twelve hours, I think, in the hockey world, and obviously uh, to see to yeah. see the outpouring of support and, and emotion. I thought you nailed it last night with your perspective uh, on Sportsnet Central, and uh, and thanks for uh, and doing that this morning as well. And with a heavy heart, I know you had a close relationship with Walter over the years and spending a lot of time. So uh, thanks for taking the time as you always do every morning. Thank you, James. Thanks, Perry. All right. Thank you, Ron. Ron McLean from Hockey Night in Canada, uh, putting into perspective the impact that uh, Walter Gretzky had on the hockey world as uh, we say goodbye at the age of 82. Um, uh, but, Perry, I mean, obviously Walter Gretzky's passing, uh, but you look over, like, really since the end of the Canucks game last night, you know, the Canucks pick up that win over the Leafs, and, and that's, you know, hey, look, for, say what you want about where this team's at right now. Beating the Leafs is always a fun feeling if you're a Canucks fan, and especially where the Leafs sit right now in the standings. I think that's a feel-good win for the team last night. Don't forget, by the way, your Canucks in a song at 650-650. Brent Seabrook also calling it a career as well. Um, Here's a guy who, I mean, three Stanley Cups, uh, just a remarkable career for him. Obviously, he's been unable to play in the surgeries that he has had to deal with uh, for the last few years. I don't know if he's necessarily a Hall of Famer, but I would say this. I think that the Chicago Blackhawks will probably retire his name and number and put the, that number up in the rafters, number seven, being a, a critical piece of three Stanley Cup wins between 2010 and 2015. I would think so. I mean, he's, he was part of that foundation, right? Uh, the guy that you need. Were you golfing a couple years ago? Remember, did we not play with Harold Sneps and a Canucks alumni? Yeah, we did. Uh, t- remember Harold told the story that, you know, he was training and I think the Seabrook family had reached out to him as Brent was getting set to go to Chicago and, and wanted to train with him a bit. And, and Harold was like, okay, like the kid worked up, but it was, no, that's, that's not an NHL workout. Like be prepared for what you are about to get into. Uh, and, and it changed Brent. And it was like, okay, yeah. Okay. I, I've got that in me. Just show me how hard I have to go. Um, so many people would, would sign up for the career he had. And yeah, why wouldn't you just like we celebrated what the Canucks did Without having the ultimate success and the cornerstones of those franchises, I don't think it's a question at all that, yeah, you got to look at that and go, this guy was part of the biggest success that you had in Chicago. I, I would retire his jersey. It's it's disappointing, but, uh, you know, injuries can catch up. And those guys played a lot of hockey. And I, I talked to Brett. He was a live interview with us after they won the 2010 gold medal, right? It was the, the local. Yeah, he's part, part of that Team Canada squad. Yeah, yeah. Part of that Team Canada squad, the best of the best, right? He certainly was. He's got he's got another three years too on his contract at uh, at just under seven million at six point eight seven five million. So that goes on LTIR. So the Hawks will ultimately get some relief. So I don't think you can you know officially sign those retirement papers until uh, summer of twenty twenty four when you're officially off the books to to you know to maintain that salary I believe, but. And that's where you kind of look at from the Luongo standpoint that the Canucks are dealing with that $3 million recapture pair. That's one where you kind of look at and say, you know, (laughs) given the health issues that Luongo was talking about at 39, could you not have just simply gone on LTIR as opposed to just signing the papers and retiring outright where the Canucks have now got, what, one more year at a $3 million uh, salary recapture that, you know, that legitimately hurts this team, not only in a flat cap world, but, you know, just how they've kind of managed contracts, right? Like that $3 million, you can kick Jim Benning's butt on a lot of issues and a lot of deals that you may not like. 
you can't give him grief over the Luongo, right? Like that was the that was a parting gift from Mike Gillis from twelve years ago, for that matter. It hurts you. I mean, we're talking about it. We got into Tanner Pearson. Jim Benning will be uh, talking to the media. He'll be on Scott Rintel's show at eleven o'clock, and you're going, "All right, what do you do? Are you keeping some of those guys around?" Hey, for three million dollars, you've got a very effective player, if not maybe two, money well spent on your bottom six. It it hurts them in a in a big way. Got into a conversation, and we don't have time for it now. You know, we we talked to Ben Roethlisberger. He defers salary. Wouldn't it be great if you could defer salary with players? Going, hey, hey, Louie, listen, is there any way we're going to use this clause? We're paying you. You're going to be paid to, uh, you know, 2030, but we're going Bobby Bonilla with you. You're just going to be getting checks for a while because we need to build our hockey team up again because we screwed up when we gave you $6 million a year. Be a great out. <laughs> Uh, so, a reminder, Jim Benning will join us uh, coming up 11 o'clock this morning on the Scott Rintoul Show here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the report's coming down over the last 24 hours that the Canucks are maybe interested in keeping Tanner Pearson here before uh, before cutting bait on him, seeing if maybe there's a contract extension to be had, at least that report coming from uh, Darren Drager last night. Uh, Nick texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Why on earth would Benning not sell on Pearson when you have to be able to get something for him. It baffles me when Benning isn't willing to grab picks and prospects when he clearly is an expert in scouting. This is why he needs to go now. His asset management is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, another text in saying, I think you could live with Pearson at a similar number. In that scenario, you got two rookie contracts in your top six. That could be some great value, and that's coming from Maury the Mill guy talking about Tanner Pearson staying put at, say, $3.75 million. In a flat cap, ooh, for a guy I would probably be that feels yeah that feels a little rich for me in a flat cap at the same price so Trey and Victoria why does everyone disrespect Tanner Pearson he has the most goals of any Canucks since he became a Canuck I still think they should trade him but he's a proven top six winger no no he's not a top six winger um but what is the value of depth like I don't think we'll argue James Tanner Pearson is a good depth guy and would be for a couple of years to come What's the price tag in that? And, and, you know, for the picks and and prospects, I think this team has passed picks and prospects, aren't they? They've got their picks and prospects. They've proven they can be NHL players. They have a couple more on the way. Now you have to fill that void with that 28, 29-year-old player in which Tanner Pearson is, but with what price tag, right? With what price tag to get him? Uh, 25 minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Friday morning. He's Perry Selkowski. I'm James Sabalski. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, your Canucks in a song. Some great submissions. We will get to those coming up later this hour, but in a moment we're going to head to Calgary. What the hell's going on, man? They go through They go through coaches like some people go through underwear. Jeff Ward's out, and Daryl Sutter, the cat came back, is back in. Why are they making that move now? Eric Francis, who covers the Flames in Calgary for Sportsnet, will join us next and explain the method to the madness next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Jim and Ladner with this submission. Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Uh, Go Jake, says uh, Jim. My 12-year-old was asking me the other day as we were driving through uh, Ladner's, uh, wondering who's the person who uh, dresses up the blue heron, uh, you know, when you come into town. 
So I wonder if it might be Jim and Ladner. Um, speaking of Ladner, Dunbar Lumber, you can find uh, in uh, Ladner mm-hmm. uh, and Dunbar, host of the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Talking to Ken Priestley, um, you know, back at the beginning of the season, you know, we were all still, the jury was out. Is Thatcher Demko the guy? I got to give Ken credit. You know, you know, Ken's seen some highs and lows in his hockey career, obviously winning a couple of cups with the Penguins, but he was convinced at the beginning of the season, even even with some of those scuffles, he was convinced that Thatcher Demko was the guy. He said, He's got it in him. He's got it in him. They just need to to give him time and bring him along the right way. And you know what? Look where we are now. Like, it was a bit of a bumpy start for Thatcher Demko, but his save percentage, like, overall, it's up to 9-11 now, which is closer to league average. But but if you look at his stretch over the last month pair, like, he's starting to push himself up in terms of his save percentage numbers more into the, you know, upper echelon category of goaltenders with what we've seen consistently over the last, what, dozen starts or so. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to track Thatcher Demko's pro career, I think it's a work, get adjusted to the level. It's a progression that I think a lot of people could could use as a formula, right? All the All the minutes he had in Utica, Never really pushed up. I, think, I believe, if memory serves, he played like a Saturday afternoon game against Columbus was his first ever NHL game after injuries, and he played quite well, and I believe they lost in overtime. But then you're back to Utica, and then, okay, Jacob Markstrom's the guy. How many minutes do we get him? How many games do we get And We talked about it with IMAC yesterday. You know, last year at this time when Jacob Markstrom is hurt, there's a playoff push going on, and Demko's the guy. There's a lot of concern going, can he do it? And he faltered, right? He, he made his mistakes on the road trip in Toronto. And you thought, oh, that, this isn't going to work. But usually you have to fall before you get up and reset yourself. And, and as Ian said, Thatcher's just such a, he's such a, a prepared guy going, okay, what did I learn from that experience? So then you go again. And the argument was, is this Demko's team to start the season or is it Holpies? Well, battle it out. And now he's kind of won that wrestling match. And, you know, you'll look at it that he will be the guy to go Go forward in the future. Hey, Jim Benning, there's another decision when he talks to the media today. What kind of number do you give Thatcher Demko if he's your guy, right? A lot of decisions have to be made because I think he's proving with every game and with this push, uh, there's no question he's ready for the number one role. Big news in Calgary last night as the uh, Flames have decided to do away with yet another head coach. Jeff Ward out and, oh, the architect from the old four squad. Uh, Daryl Sutter is back behind the bench signing a three-year deal. So this isn't just a quick fix here. This is uh, they're committing a, f- a little bit of term here. Eric Francis, who joins us from Calgary, bright and early. Man, five coaches in less than five years, at least like they keep you busy out there, don't they? They sure make it interesting. I mean, last night, to make that announcement by a press release, literally about 20 minutes after Jeff Ward had just finished his press conference, Oof. I mean, it seems cold, man. It's cold, but, <laughs> yeah. but that's the cold, hard reality of, of, of this business. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's a results-oriented business. And, you know, I defend Jeff Ward because I think he's a very smart guy, smart coach, good motivator, but he wasn't able to get the most out of this team. So I get it. I get it. The timing is strange, Eric, but when I hear three years, I just go, well, I'm sure the conversation started last week and they've been negotiating for about five or six days. Would you think that was the case? 
You know, it's my understanding, to be honest with you, that uh, this isn't the first time they've uh, touched base with Daryl about the possibility of coming back. So I think this was a familiar conversation that Mr. Tree Living and Mr. Sutter had uh, with one another, um, you know, over the last little while. So, I, you know, we may never get to the bottom of that. But the, the bottom line is, you know, the, the word familiarity is important here because, you know, it's an easy sell to your ownership group. I mean, Daryl Sutter came in here and literally resurrected this franchise in 03, took them to the cup final in 04, and made the team relevant in this city again. I mean, literally, the team was sliding into oblivion, and that's kind of what they were doing this year, sliding into oblivion. I really felt like they were on the precipice of losing the entire season. I don't, I don't think I was alone in thinking that. You know, they'd take one step forward and two steps back, and then they'd win a game, feel good about themselves, and say, yeah, we're a good enough team, and then they'd lose six one to the worst team in, in the in the conference in the division. So, it, you can't have that sort of inconsistent issues. But the biggest thing, guys, is work ethic, and it's a real sad thing to me when a pro athlete is in, is indicted as being you know having a work ethic issue. But this team has one, and Daryl Sutter's entire career has revolved around work ethic, and uh, so there's a, I think this could be a really good fit. You know, he's. He could be the guy to help turn this thing around. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind the play here. Like, I got a lot of time for Daryl Sutter, and you know, I think you know there, there kind of is that sort of oh, old school approach. But I, I got a lot of time for Daryl Sutter here, and and if there's somebody who you, you need somebody to kind of kick some ass and and straighten people out, I feel like Daryl can certainly be the guy. But but tell me this, like. Just a, a four days ago, there was Milan Lucic on the post game show on the Fan 960 in Calgary, and you know, basically saying, look, you know, people talking about the coach, this is all BS. This is on the players. It is on us. Um, you know, and listening to Milan's comments, you know, that sounds like a veteran guy trying to wake up some kids. Like, is there a divide in that room? I think there is. And I think that you get the hint that there's a divide. You know, I keep hearing about this players only meeting. They had six games into the season where somebody pulled well, not pull them aside. They said out loud. They basically asked Matthew Kachuk to tone down his act. And, and to me, that says it all. If I'm the GM, I find out who said that to Kachuk, and that player is on the next plane out of here. You need more Matthew Kachuk attitude and, and you know, uh, hatred of losing, and, and, and you don't need less of it. And Daryl Sutter is all about the, you know, he's got a very Kachuk-like mentality where he, he hates to lose and he doesn't accept it. And He'll do whatever it takes to rattle people's cages. And so, uh, you know, yes, is there a divide in this room? There seems to be a disconnect between the guys who say, guys, we got to pick up our bootstraps and work harder, and the guys who actually listen and do it. And um, and that's the problem. And, you know, Milan Lucci, you also have to remember with him, he kind of unsolicited, had these unsolicited comments that he made to Pat Steinberg and to on the Zoom call saying, defending the coach. Well, A, first of all, you have to defend your coach. You're, you're always going to. But B, him and, him and uh, Jeff Ward won a cup together in Boston. And so there's, there's a, that, that relationship goes even deeper. So, you know, Milan, it was very personal for Milan Lucic. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he takes this move because, uh, you know, uh, Daryl Sutter is a radically different coach than, than Jeff Ward was. Is this a win for old school coaching? Is Mike Babcock going, honey, I think I'm only going to be at the University of Saskatchewan for one year. Is, is Torch going, I'll have another job, right? It's a, it's a great question. I, mean, I don't know how many old school coaches are left, right? I mean, 
I, I will say this. I, I was, I've been here 26 years, and I've seen all the Sutters. This is the third one. Well, kind of the fourth <laughs> time they've hired a Sutter. Bizarre. But, you know, they also brought back Mike Keenan, right? And, uh, and Daryl was the one who hired Mike Keenan because, he, of course, he believes in the old-school mentality. And Keenan came here and tried to be a much softer, gentler Mike Keenan, and it didn't work. He lasted one year, and it was a catastrophe. And, you know, can you change the, ti- the stripes on a tiger? especially a ferocious tiger like Daryl Sutter. That's the big question. I mean, everyone's waiting to see. Old school uh, at a time when it's all about new school in hockey and in the world. It's all about being kinder and gentler. And uh, I don't, you know, that's going to be the fascinating balance that Daryl Sutter is going to have to strike uh, between being himself and being, you know, somewhat um, refurbished, if you you will. Uh, Eric Francis here on Sportsnet 650. Why do this now? Like it never felt like Jeff Ward ever got on solid ice. It always felt like you know he kind of assumed the team, not because the team was sputtering with Bill Peters. It was because you know it's a past history of of Bill Peters, and he had to go. But why not have done this in the off season? Then why why wait till now? It just never seemed like Jeff Ward was true living's guy. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Especially in hindsight, you're like, wow, you know. Here we are, 23, 24 games in, and that's the short leash he gave him. And I think everyone knew that he would have a short leash this year. Um, you know, when Tree Living, he took a whole lot of time before he decided to bring uh, Ward back and remove the interim tag. Um, when you say he never really firmly got this team, I'll, I'll say this. You know, this team was a 500 team when Bill Peters' situation uh, struck. Um and the team has lost seven games in a row. Like you tell me anybody who thought that that season could have been salvaged last year. Well, Jeff Ward went in under pretty trying circumstances and did stabilize this team. I think they won seven in a row after that or six of seven and they got into the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, he kind of gave them a bit of a rebirth with a bit of a new identity. And they really responded well for the most part. And then they kind of collapsed against Dallas. But the point is he did affect some, some positive change, his record, I think, is 35, 26, and 5. You know, like, the record will show that, you know, he did have some success, but I think it was the trending. It was where they were trending right now, and I do agree with you that this year he never seemed to be on firm, solid ground, and this team never really seemed to get any solid footing either. They'd win two, lose one, lose two, lose, win one. It was just, it's a bad pattern, and so I get it. Again, I've you know, the good guys always finish last in our business, and Jeff Ward was one of the good guys. And uh, But, but I, I, I understand the rationale. Eric, thanks for this. Man, thanks for keeping it interesting. Who would have thought that we would have this going on? Um, but enjoy the ride. It'll be different, that's for sure, with Sutter at the helm. We appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, guys. I feel like the Flames are relevant again because I think they're just on the verge of sliding into irrelevance. And, uh this will keep them interesting for a little hey, while. Fra- hey, hey, Francis. Hey, Francis. You know what? Tell Marky and Tanny to suck it after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, who saw that, that one coming? Hey, who saw their coach getting fired first after all this? Right? Hey, right? Is, is Marky getting is Marky getting closer? Not that you know. You like the Zoom? Is, is he back in action right away? I'd be shocked if he didn't start Saturday. He was the backup last night. I think he's ready. I think they just wanted to give him a little bit more practice time. Uh, he was only cleared on Wednesday, so I, I he'll be in okay. Saturday. I have no doubt about it. We'll call you next week when Tanev's hurt. <laughs>
<laughs> Cheers, boys. Take care. There he is, Eric Francis uh, from Sportsnet in Calgary uh, weighing in. Uh, Coach Killers, Chris Tannum and Jacob Markstrom. You know, the interesting thing is, is listen, we've talked about it to Eric and others in Calgary. Um, that hockey team, it's Kachuk's team. I've heard the stories of the divide, the veterans and Matthew Kachuk, who's doing what. But, you know, where's Johnny Goudreau? I think Eric was on our station after he goes, no way, Eric. There, there's no way that Johnny Goudreau remains in that team. Is Johnny Goudreau a, a Daryl Sutter guy? Mm, I'll be interesting to see what that relationship turns out to be. I like the play. I, I, I don't mind this play here. To, if, they, if they felt like something wasn't right, I got a lot of time for Daryl Sutter. And you know what? He's not the oldest coach in the league. That's still Rick Bonus. And I would say that, hey, look, in the last 10 years, he got two Stanley Cups when he stepped in at the last minute and fixed uh, you know, an L.A. Kings squad, right? And they got a couple of Stanley Cups. So let's see where it goes from here. 7.44, uh, your Canucks commute coming up at the top of the clock. We'll catch up with Sat Shaw, who's been a busy man this week. Uh, Jim Benning expected to meet with the media and join the Scott Rintoul Show coming up at 11 o'clock this morning here on Sportsnet 650. And your song's next. We hit the music, Canucks style, Canucks in a song, 650, 650. Get your submission in. What track best sums up last night's performance at Rogers Arena? We'll share ours and yours next right here on your home of the Canucks Sports at 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Mike and Maple Ridge with this submission on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Magic from the cars. Kind of magic. You know what? Not a lot of people saw this one coming last night, but I will credit Ed Jovodowski, who texted me before puck drop. He said, take Van, put the money on, on Van tonight. I was like, no, no, no. Wow. I would I would take the – I said, I, I like the under, but I don't like the Canucks. And then as the game kind of played on, I was like, ah, trap game, you know? Back to back. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you hate to think you're the team. <laughs> you know, trap trap game, it's great to talk that way when you're the team that's supposed to win. We're near the opposition. Hey, shout out to you. You called it Monday when people said there's no reason this team is beating Winnipeg Jets. And you said, you know what? No rhyme or reason they're going to. I, I'm chuckling with the, the song selection. We'll get into the Canucks in a song and, and, you know, listening to Magic. And I know there's been news about the paramedics. And I'm just thinking, man, Canucks fans, it's like a defibrillator, right? Like they're they're no it's done all right let's pronounce uh, hang on here we've got a pulse we've got a pulse right that's like this week has been we're we're so alive Tuesday morning then Tuesday they're finished they're done heated up as it's never been before and now out of nowhere last night I'll wait and see we'll see what we're talking about Monday morning if you can pull off another one against the Leafs when they'll be rested and ready and go okay three or four against two really good teams you might just go you know Ron McLean last week said hey they're not finished yet. I don't know. Thought they were done. Okay, let's get to some of these. Uh, let's get to some of these songs. You ready to do this? Yeah, let's go. Okay, Ian and Coquitlam going with the bands. How about this little obscure one from the band? Great band, by the way. It's Get Up, Jake. Get up, Jake. It's late in the morning. The rain is pouring. We got work to do. Get up, Jake. You know, the last waltz probably still one of the. Greatest music films of all time, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. But get up, Jake, man. God, I think that's what Travis Green had been screaming for the better part of the last year. Uh, finally got a performance last night, and 
maybe a couple GMs take notice around the league. Uh, Chris, with this one from Saliva, click, click, boom. You know, if people still subscribe to the Shotgun Jake rule, hammering down a couple beers, you had to hit two of them last night. A little click, click, boom. Wow, you almost had three. Went almost uh, going after the trade trick. Let the shot go. Hit a pad in front, though. Um, nice job by Canucks in a song, too. Those are two. Ian's call. I mean, when the lyrics really, really hit, uh, that's good work. That's some thought put into it, right? That's the game plan. That's like a third-period effort. Well done by both those submissions. What else we got? By the way, where is, like, the audacity of Jordy Ben to not send it over to Jake on a two-on-one oh. last night and decides to keep. Jordy, come on. Who in the blue hell do you think you are to do that? Uh, well, Tor- you know what? <laughs> Hang on, though, Seaball. I'm thinking the same thing, but it's Jordy Ben. Is he floating some sauce over a body stick to Jake for 10? And I think he played the odds, man. He's going, oh, I'm Jordy Ben. I could probably hit the net, but am I throwing sauce? He's throwing at Jake's hip. He doesn't have that in his game to throw sauce on a two-on-one. Yeah. He'll throw sauce on a July at a bar. He'll throw sauce on top of uh, some ribs, but he's not throwing sauce on a two-on-one in the NHL. Yeah, still, you gotta you got to try to pick that pass. you, you got to make that pass sooner then. Let Jake on the keeper then. Uh, Torgi in uh, Langley uh, saying, you know, Canucks, uh, two, uh, two out of three are wins. Jake has had a week, and now Demko's crease, and he's legit. That's why he's going with Limp Biscuits rolling. Love it. Love it. Shout out to 2001. East Van Tommy going with another uh, classic. This one uh, from the 90s uh, after uh, Thatcher Demko performance last night. Maybe a tip of the cap to uh, Shotgun Jake as well. A little EMF. You're unbelievable. You're unbelievable. Oh, man. This was, like talk about a one-hit wonder, right? That all they had? <laughs> can, can you name another? No, I, I can't even sing any of the songs other than saying you're unbelievable. Right? We'll we'll get it done. We'll get it done. Uh, get, let's get to, let's get to one more here before uh, we get to your Canucks going to commute. Uh, Jay and Lady Smith on the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. He's going with the Verve and a little bittersweet symphony. I can only assume that Jay and Lady Smith is uh, all about Team Tank here, Bear. Nice to beat the Leafs, but this does not help in the draft lottery standings. No, and Jay's a big believer, right? He's a hardcore Canucks fan, and you're wondering which way we're going with this team yet. Uh, we'll find out. Hey, we'll find out. Jim Benning, 11 o'clock with Scott Rintel. Are you selling? Are you buying? Uh, who knows which way they're going with it all. Uh, it's not done yet. We're not even halfway through. Well, we'll get into it with uh, we'll get into it with Sat Shaw and uh, kind of try to uh, forecast what sort of messaging uh, we'll get from the Canucks general manager coming up in about uh, a couple of hours from now. Uh, Canucks winners last night; they'll try to do it again against the Leafs tomorrow at Rogers Arena. We'll dive into all of it next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Mm-hmm.
They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. Godette gets it into the Toronto zone for Tannen, sharp angle, he scores! There's some games where everything just kind of goes your way, and uh, today was one of those one of those games where everything you know went Vancouver's way. They certainly played played hard and deserved it. I mean, that's when you play like that. Normally things do end up falling your way. The Canuck commute on the starting lineup. Sheldon Keith kind of sounded like Travis Green for a change, right? Shoes on the other foot. It's your Canucks commute here on this Friday morning, hour number three, a presentation of our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. James Savalski and Perry Silkowski will be joined uh, shortly by uh, Sat Shah, working late into the night last night on the postgame show uh, alongside our own Craig McEwen, the boss. Uh, Sat will join us here in a little bit as uh, Jim Benning will address uh, the media coming up a little later on this morning, and he'll do it right here on Sportsnet 650 at 11 a.m. with Scott Rintoul. And a lot of questions need to be answered here, Pear. And, and now comes uh, word that Tanner Pearson could be possibly looking at a contract extension, or at least the Canucks are hoping to see if they can keep Tanner Pearson in the fold. I think for a lot of Canucks fans hearing that going, you're going, what the hell, man? Are you like, sell some assets here. It, it's time to move on here and, and kind of forget about this season. But you sell assets and go, okay, what kind of holes do we need to plug in? Like you can't do that with draft picks all the time because you need to have some experienced hockey players. So, Listen, the Canucks bottom six, they're decent hockey players, just not at the value that you're paying them. There's just no way. I thought Jay Beagle actually played really well last night. Dumb penalty. But Jay Beagle playing really well would be easier to take if Jay Beagle's making $2 million, right? Not at the price he's getting paid at. Roussel was noticeable. So I understand the Tanner Pearson summer going, hey, you know, let's move him now. Others going, he's a top six guy. No, he's not. Tanner Pearson's not a top six guy, but he's a valuable player in a role with a hockey team. But what's that price tag on Jim Benning? Does Tanner Pearson think he's got a lot of value elsewhere in the NHL? I think it might be a dose of reality for a couple of these guys who cashed in at the right time, right? And go get you. Get Tanner Pearson got his money because of what he did with the Kings. But uh, I can understand. Sell him, get assets. But what are you doing in the summertime, James, to fill those roles with veterans? No Sutter, no Pearson. Where do you plug it? So you go back to... What a conversation about a year or so ago from Jim Benning. Remember, he was saying, "Oh, you know, we got seven guys here. Within the next year, we'll be here coming. You know, making that step. You know, from their prospect pool, right?" So it was trying to identify, okay, well, who are those prospects? You know, going to be, and you know, Hoaglander obviously has found a way here. You know, and I think the the consensus seems to be more so. You know, a top nine player for sure, but maybe better as a third line guy. But I, I look at it this way, Pierre. If you want to look at your top six, I think you've got four spots accounted for at this point, right? You've got Pedersen, Besser, Miller, Horvat right now. Um, if you want to throw in Hoaglander, there's there's another one in your top nine. So there's five in your top nine. I think Pod Colson's going to be here probably in the next, possibly next six weeks here, um, potentially, depending on when their season ends and if he's not playing in the Worlds. You know, there's a chance that we could see Vasily Pod Colson. So now, all of a sudden, you've got six in your top nine. One guy I think is a piece for sure in your fourth line going forward is Tyler Mott. So that leaves you with seven in of your 12 forwards accounted for, in theory. 
right? But there's you're right. Like there's still a lot of holes to be filled. I think obviously free agency and acquisitions, you can certainly do something along those lines. And in a flat cap, like the market should be palatable, if not this offseason in the summer of 22 to kind of fill out your roster, which the Leafs have certainly done here over the last year and a bit. You know, putting in guys like Spets and Thornton at, at you know, and Wayne Simmons at nice, nice cap value, right? Now you kind of wonder, though, um, it's that next wave of prospects you're waiting for. Cole Lynn's off to a great start right now in the American League. You know, Jack Rathbone, you know, are both those guys going to hit? Like, are those guys here next year, right? But there are holes. Like, there are some questions that need to be asked, and you're right. Like, Tanner Pearson. Would Tanner Pearson fit in that top nine? For sure. I just don't Mm -hmm. know if Tanner Pearson at close to $4 million next year fits in the salary strata. You know what I mean? Like, I I just don't see that at $4 million or 3.75. Like, even if he came back for the same price – I just don't know how you fit that in. Well, and the other question, James, becomes, you know, what about culture? Uh, you know, we, that's kind of been a question mark for this team when they were sputtering. But if, if Sutter's gone, if Pearson is gone, you might be able to work something out with Alex Edler, right, that he just wants to stay around. You know, Jordy Ben, who's been a bigger part of this team than you think. Those, again, are three kind of veteran pieces that are removed from a team after we talked about three core guys that were removed because of business decisions last year. You know, you can replace them, but, you know, what kind of, you know, are are you completely eradicating what you had over the last 24 months as to build it and say, hey, it's Bo, it's all on you? Like, you need some guys to kind of carry on a a culture. You're losing an assistant captain in Sutter unless somehow you're reworking that next year. So uh, it's a difficult decision. Tanner Pearson's not a top six guy. He's not a guy that should be bringing in big money. Is he a role player? Yes. On a less significant role as this team gets better, but what value is that for Jim Ben if he's making the choices? Yeah, no, and that's uh, look like Jake Bertanen. Would Jake Bertanen fit in the top nine? Like if you got Jake Bertanen, like he played last night, you know, we're not uh, two and a half million, right? I mean, you, I get- you would t- you'd take that all day. But it's, I mean, it it feels like I think in this market you kind of see last night it's fool's gold, right? <laughs> it's like it's like the first time you you know you find that oh whoa 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 look at I found oh no it's fool's gold right and it's uh you know look I think what a lot of people I think in the fan base last night seeing that on display is you know hey look you know he's got some confidence sell high sell high now I don't think one game suddenly creates a whole buyer's market for Jake Vertanen but you know it does it does make others around the league take notice, right? There's a guy who had two goals last night against one of the best teams in hockey. Like, that has to count for something. But let's see where Jake goes from here. Like, if he does he just shut it down like he certainly do? Or can Jake go on a bit of a run here? Like, this week's been a good week for Jake, right? Like, it hasn't been just last night. Yeah. Like, he, he's been noticeable the last few games here, Pear. Yeah, it, it's... Jake for tennis, like, Jeannie Bouchard going out with that guy on the dare from Twitter. Really? Do you think it's a serious relationship? Jake plays as well as he does last night. You go, come on, this isn't a serious relationship, is it, anymore? Like, we've had our chances. This is just, uh, it was fool's gold, and it was fun. People root for him, but I think, I I was saying, score another one, it's the trade trick. See if other GMs look at it, because, man, how much can you be the Vancouver Canucks organization and wait for him? We had the conversation with Murph. We can have it with Sap. Jake Vertanen plays great hockey. I think it's, okay, what's his value now? I, I just can't see this organization believing that they can get a consistent Jake for Tannen as well as he's played in the last, say, three games where he's been noticeable. 
hasn't been a liability. Yesterday, at his best, I think Cheech said it might have been the best game he's played as a Vancouver Canuck. Does that mean he's here now? We've waited five years. I'm not buying it. Well, I mean, you're going, you're going almost seven years since the day they drafted him back in June of 2014. Uh, I will say this. You know, you look at from a team standpoint last night, that was a good team win. You know, with, with no Elias Pettersson, who's now day-to-day with an upper body injury, according to Travis Green, you know, it felt like it was a doom and gloom sort of moment uh, for, the, for the Canucks last night. And they were on their heels in that first period. I thought Demko really showed well in that first 20 minutes. And then once once the Canucks kind of found their legs – and the Leafs kind of got tired as the game wore on. Man, we haven't said this much this season, and especially the last month, but the Canucks closed out well. Like, they played well down the stretch and took care of business. Like, they got better as the game wore on. I think the Leafs were also guilty of being a little tired after playing the second leg of a back-to-back, but I like the way that the Canucks kind of pushed back in that third period, and, you know, Thatcher Demko kind of got them to start, but... Uh, the rest of the team kind of picked up their game. I like JT Miller in the middle too. I thought I thought JT Miller looked all right. Uh, Sat you- Shaw from the uh, from the program, post game show, pre game show, and Earl and Missions BFF is with us here, bright and early this morning. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm so happy. Uh, Earl and me are uh, Earl and I are such good friends. I'm, Did he he I'm didn't call really us? Have you repaired the relationship? No, you know what I think happened uh, last night? The Canucks won, so Earl decided to not be the star of the show. He wants the Canucks to be the star of the show. So he called in when the Canucks lost and reminded us of what the positives are, what we should be focusing on. So Earl, like any good hero, doesn't want to take the spotlight when he doesn't need to. That's fair. He'll call you maybe Saturday night. Hey, you know what? And, and see, Bob, as Sat was getting ready, you were talking, and I'm sure Sat last night post-game show, obviously a, a lot of uh, Demko, a lot of Jake Furtanen. To me, what was noticeable in his best game in a Canuck uniform, and you go, that's nice. I thought Travis Hamannick was excellent last night. Like, just uh, there's a guy who's been around this league for a while. Uh, agree that he was as noticeable as he's ever been? I do, I do agree that Travis Hamannick had one of his better games, and I thought Quinn Hughes played really well, too. I mean, especially at even strength. If we start looking at how the Canucks play that game, the most impressive part was they more than held their own at even strength. At On the power play and on special teams, I mean, you know, the Canucks got the goal from Jake, of course, on the second unit. Toronto had their chances, right? Like, I think special teams-wise, they probably had the edge in terms of chances and, and how they dominated things, but at even strength... Canucks played really well, and I thought Travis Hamannick now, it's been a couple of games, he, he, I thought he struggled a bit on Tuesday, and at times on Monday he had some moments, but he has looked a lot better, his skating's improved, he looks a lot more engaged, you see a player now that doesn't look like he just decided to join a team as soon as the season started, like it was really clear he was behind the eight ball when the season began, and I thought it was interesting, Perry, that when he did come back and start practicing, he was around for a good week or so before they even got him back to playing again. I think mm-hmm. they realized that to give him the best chance to have some success, he needs to have his legs under him. And, and I think we're starting to see that from Travis Hamannick. So what, um, obviously today's the big day here uh, with Jim Benning. Uh, he's found, he's taken off the cloak of invisibility here, Sat. Um, and, and, you know, he's not, he's not passing through walls like vision uh, disappearing. Uh, but, but give me a sense, like there's, there's a lot of questions that we got to get a sense of, of what's, uh, of what's going forward here and, and what the plan is. Like, what do you, tell me this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you deal with the post-game shows, you take the calls. I mean, you're on the day-to-day on the grind. You're at the rink all the time. 
What do you want to hear from Jim Benning? Well, you know, I want to hear a semblance of a plan more than anything. That's that's what I want to hear. But but the reality is, what really gets said during these availabilities. Honestly, I think the best thing Jim can do, and I'm not trying to be facetious or make fun, it's just the reality of, you know, PR not being a strength. Just don't step in it. Like, don't just Mm. don't say something that people can turn around and be like, gotcha. You know, the whole you ran out of time thing that people are still talking about. Like any joke now is like, oh, do you have time to do it? And it's based on a quote that Jim gave. Now, part of that is people will read aggressively through anything that Jim is going to say, right? That there is a a truth to that, but he's not the best messenger, right? So I, I do no. kind of wonder how it's going to go yeah. over. And, and, and you know, rea- Sad, I think sometimes he is unfairly criticized for just not being that alpha personality like a, like a Pat Quinn. That This market's been spoiled with, like, alpha sort of GMs over the years. Pat Quinn, Brian Burke, and, and even Mike Gillis. Different approach, but alpha dog, right? Like, smartest yeah. guy in the room sort of approach, right? Jim... Jim, I've always said, comes across as the guy who's at the chips and salsa bowl, kind of spilling. You know, he's got some, he's got some salsa on his tie, and just kind of the more blue collar. <laughs> but I think sometimes he's unfairly criticized for not kind of being that charismatic guy. He's honest, guys. That's his fault. Like he should be dealing with Pavel Barber right now. Jim Benning's not a stick handler. Like he kind of yeah. gives you an honest answer, and that can come back and hurt him. Well, it is true, but the biggest thing too is. Have you put him in a position organizationally where, you know, we talk about play, putting players in positions to succeed. Mm-hmm. Has Jim been put in a position to, to succeed as well? You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in terms of hockey moves. I mean it as in what you were talking about, James. There was a reason they had Trevor be the president. There's a reason you have yep. layers in management. There's a reason you have a buffer to ownership. And there are certain things that you need to have in place. And from that messaging leadership standpoint, do I think that's Jim's strength? No, I certainly don't think so. And start looking through the organization the past couple of years and, and see how some of the leadership structure has kind of fallen apart. I mean, Trevor goes, and then the thing with Judd happens, and even less people are in the organization now in the front office. And part of that's due to the pandemic, and part of that is – it's just been a really odd in terms of how things have not been aligned like they had been in the past. So I do think they need more in that front office. They need a true president, a true messenger. They need somebody in this market that understands PR really well because you have to be available, like Dran said last night on the panel as well. You need your GM to be able to answer questions. And it's not even so much about giving the fans the answers they want to hear. It is about accountability to some point. And yes, you're not selling tickets this season, but I do think you need to hear from the people in the organization that are decision makers, big decision makers, and they need to be accountable to the fan base, whether people like what they say or not. No, you can't you can't go this long being this quiet. And this is something that I've been calling for, you know, at the beginning of the week and we've been kind of saying this for the last year. Like you can't go 6 weeks being MIA, right? Like the last public yeah, you, comments that we've seen from Jim Benning was, you know, I think you got to go back to a Ben Kuzma article in Post Media and that was February 4th. Like today is March 5th. Like you cannot go that quiet, especially when the team's like hurtling off a cliff like this, right? Like at some point you kind of got to get in front of it or at least provide a deflection, like be a team guy, like take a couple shots because your team's getting your ass kicked. You know, Travis Green's going out there day to day and he doesn't have all the answers. Like there are questions that are bigger than just asking the coach every day. I think, I think it's fair that he should have been out here sooner. Absolutely. You know, look at the questions that 
Travis Fields all the time now, right? It, there's a lot of big picture questions being asked yep. to him, and he doesn't have he doesn't have the answers to that. And right now, the guy does not doesn't even have a contract beyond next season. Like, what accountability can Travis Green really provide for the entire organization? Hey, you can hold him accountable for the lineup he dresses. You can hold him accountable for the results and you know how the team has performed at times. But he's not the real decision maker. He's not the one that's going to figure out what happens with Pearson, what's going to happen with Pedersen and Hughes' contracts. And he doesn't know what's going to even happen with his own contract. You need your GM to be able to speak to the media. And that's something that, you know, used to happen all, all the time. Like, remember, Nonis used to always do his thing. Brian Burke every single week as well. And I get it. You know, that's not the strength. And you probably want to limit some of those appearances because you don't want it go to go sideways. But... You know, that's a problem in and of itself. If you have to shelter, you know, your management team a little bit because you don't have a great person to put out there to provide the message and give fans what they want to hear, well, that's a problem. And that goes back to the whole point of you probably need more in your front office than you currently have. I was going to say, Seth, that's an organizational problem, though, too, because, you know, does Jim Benning have confidence that he's working in this organization in three months' time? I mean, is it a thought that maybe the owner should, other than a tweet, Go oh, hey, I'll, I'll yeah. come and I'll come and deflect some of it today rather than Jim and, and say that you know we still believe in this group um, because honestly, what's Jim going to be asked? Are you keeping Tanner Pearson? Well, we'll figure out how it goes. I mean, do we put a little bit on the ownership group to go? Hey, I'll I'll take a bullet for this team right now because essentially the no contracts not Jim's issue. Uh, you know, is Jim around? Isn't Jim's issue? It's it's the guy signing the bills. It absolutely is. And when we talk about leadership as well, it goes all the way up, right? And you know, that's really where it begins and it always ends is at the very top of the organization. And if any big change happens, say, you know, you change the front office, what is the working environment going to be like moving forward in terms of expectations and in terms of how hands-on that approach is going to be? And if you are going to be really hands-on, then you probably do have to be more available to answer for a lot of things than not. And listen, people can respond and say, hey, it's a private business. They don't owe you guys anything. Sure, true, whatever. But the reality is it is a public business as well that relies on people buying in and spending money on tickets and watching games and listening and being engaged in a product. And that means you essentially have constituents. You essentially have people that are investors in your product. And if you want people to remain invested, if you want people to remain excited about your product and buy into your product, then you have to have availability and speak to them as well. And that's something this organization used to do a really, really good job of in the past, and that quite hasn't been the strength of it. But at the reality is, too, there isn't anything Jim can say today that's going to change anything. Because at the same time, you're right. He's not the ultimate decision maker here, Perry. Like, is he going to yeah. be here beyond next season? Like, We can sit here and say, hey, what is the plan? But has the plan been communicated to him beyond this season? Has well, a direction been given to him beyond the season. No, and, and look, I mean, nobody nobody is ever going to come out and publicly sewer their boss, right? And we talked about this with Ed Jovanovski the other day. I mean, even if you're frustrated with ownership, like nobody's going to sit there and put it on the boss if that's, you know, who's signing your paycheck. But, you know, and I think you look at some of those questions over the years. Like, you know, if we can go back to the, even the Louis Erickson contract 2016, you know, how much would that was Francesco saying, look, go get somebody, right? Because remember, the focus and set, you know, we were all at different places in 2016, but the push was for Milan Lucic, right? Like, that was yeah. priority number one that mm -hmm. summer. And then, obviously, when Milan went to Edmonton, you know, 
the the plan B was Louis Erickson, who was coming off a 30-goal campaign, right? Now, Jim's always going to wear that. He's going to have to own it. But how much of the decision-making sometimes is coming from the top, just like from contractual situations where we are now? I think you're right. I think it's. I think people want to get a sense of, give me some transparency, give us a sense of what the plan is. But I think in fairness, I don't know if he's going to be able to provide those answers. And, you know, it might put him in a position here to where he's just, you know, sets himself up to fail, I guess, in the public eye, because it, it, no matter what Jim says, people won't, you know, people won't buy anything he's selling. No, I, I think the best thing you can do in this situation is, whether it's true or not, is preach about, you know, how things are okay. I mean, the thing is, he's also the leader of the organization, and no leader, you, you know, from management can step up and be like, you know what, guys, I have no idea what's going on. I got no answers for you. I don't know what, what I'm, if I'm going to be here or not. I mean, that doesn't instill confidence in the people that work underneath him as well. So there's ha- there has to be the brave face that gets put on. You have to come on and, you know, say some positive things. But as far as the things that can be controlled, those are the ones where you can, you know, how do you get that message across? Like, for instance, on Tanner Pearson. Of course, he's not going to say, yeah, we're trying to trade Tanner Pearson. We have no interest in re-signing him. But how do you position that comment for instance are you open to moving him out and do you have any answers on Travis I I think big picture might be hard to get answers but do we can we glean anything from the overall direction based on what they might be looking to do with say Pearson players they might be looking to trade out and the head coach you know if he doesn't have any answers on the head coach like oh, I'm not sure you know about we us being able to keep him or not well that might give you some insight into what's going on Well, and I think Jim would agree. If he could just get to the finish line of this season, he's got a chance to do some renovations on mistakes he's made over the last three or four with some money, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to have to figure out, how are you going to have Hughes and Pedersen? What's that number going to look like? What do I have left? And then to me, Sat, and and, you've talked about it at nauseum, as have we, it's does the ownership trust him with that money? All right, we have a little more money. What are you doing with it? Because the track record on the money is probably his biggest fault over the time that he's had to build this hockey team. That's absolutely the the biggest criticism. And it is on the pro side of things more than anything. I mean, the drafting stuff, the record speaks for itself. I mean, look at how many players they've unearthed. And now part of that, too, is look at how many people they've had in the organization that work towards that. It's not just one single. I mean, this is the frustration, right? I mean, this is why I get frustrated about this entire situation is nobody's perfect. And this front office, by any means, is not perfect. But they do have people there that know what they're doing. They have people that do good work as well. And a few years back, I mean, you had as much as Trevor learned on the job, at the very least towards the end, there was, okay, there's a structure here where he's the buffer to ownership. There are people that had autonomy within their roles in the front office, whether it was Judd and drafting, you had Jim doing his thing, you had other uh, departments as well. And there was a lot of debate. And not to say debate doesn't happen anymore, but they were drafting really well. There was really good collective effort in terms of figuring out who the best prospects are. And I know people made it out to be Judd's the genius. And yeah, he's a really talented uh, talent evaluator. But his big thing in you know, the big thing under Trevor was we need people to work together. We need to be collaborative and we need to listen to other viewpoints and come to a consensus. And it's okay to debate these sort of things. And you look at the drafting record. It speaks for itself. Like, look how successful it's been. And will that continue on moving forward? You certainly hope so. But there is something real tangible there. It's the pro side of things that has to improve, right? The contract stuff. And, hey, some of the trades have been better recently. You have to be honest about that the last couple of years compared to what it was earlier on in the tenure. But it all begins with how much patience is there too, right? Like, is there a patience to have a plan where you're trying to really turn this up 
in one or two years. Sat, we got about uh, 30 seconds here, and uh, I feel like it's going to probably require more than that. Uh, the reports, uh, Tanner Pearson, uh, they could be talking extension. What do you make of it? I, I just I can't see that same price tag being a fit for a guy who's probably going to slide down the lineup going forward. Yeah, so I think part of this, hey, they might re-sign him, is a bit of, I wouldn't say posturing necessarily, but you you have a better, you probably have more leverage if the other teams think there's a chance you keep this player. Like, hey, how badly do you really, really want this guy? And it doesn't doesn't really benefit the Canucks bargaining position for it to be out there that they're trying to sell this guy and have no interest in bringing him back. So I think there's some of that to it. Mm. But in a perfect world, I bet you that Jim really would like to keep Tanner. That's the type He's of player good. that he <laughs> like, Right? He has been. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, how much can you pay him? And you got to pay yeah. Pedersen and Hughes, right? Like, here's That's the thing. It. If you sign him to like a one-year, two-year, three million dollar deal per year, okay, maybe you can you can get that done. But if he wants more and he wants term, how do you do that and not feel a little squeezed in a year or two? Like you you have to make a tough decision here on some of these guys. Uh, thanks, man. I feel like we were just really scratching the surface, and uh, and you know what? At some point, I can't steal all your material for later on this afternoon on the program. So thanks for finding time on a quick turnaround this morning. Hey, Thank hey it's you, always CR. it's always fun chatting with you boys. Thanks You're so much man. for having me on. Thanks. Nice to catch up, pal. Right, There's care. the hardest working man. Sorry, Bick. The hardest working man at Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Sat Shaw. He does pre-games. He does post-games. And he also has to endure three hours with Andrew Walker five days a week. All right? That is a man who is grinding. Uh, Sat Shaw here on Sportsnet 650. Lots more to get to. Uh, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of you weighing in. Some great points as well being made. We'll get to some of those. And Salty Sonia Aslam ready to jump on in as well from News 1130. It's all next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Have I lost my this is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Wow, a little Enrique with the request and dedication to uh, Jake Bertanen. Look at that love on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Amazing what you get when the hometown kid shows up once a year with a pair of goals. Langley fun be, guy with that submission pair. No, that's good. That would be fun. Like, it would be a nice if, – if Jake's boarding the plane and leaving, right, to play that music. But, yeah, Langley the fun guy is, is having some fun on a Friday. You got him to be a hero for one night. <laughs> for one night anyway sell high sell high there's there's the market screaming uh, a reminder jim benning uh, will join the scott ritual show coming up at 11 o'clock this morning here on uh, sportsnet 650 james sabalski and perry solkowski kicking it with you here uh, on the starting lineup this hour present uh, presented by surrey honda business here in the gang over at surrey honda located at 152nd and fraser highway where you'll find quality and community and as we go down the hall and join our friend from news 11 7:30. Salty Sonia. Did you Aslam. forget my name? <laughs> you get, did you get stuck in traffic? Like, is there actually enough traffic on the road to use that excuse these days? Um, yes, Mister. I haven't left my house in a year. Yeah, there, there's a cars out there. So there was a big crash on Brunette. So everyone jumped on Low Heat and Highway One. So Highway One and Low Heat, which I take, got completely jammed. Plus, there's road work and construction. So. I was here technically at 7.18, but then we just decided to, you know, really hold the best for last for the last half hour of your guys' program. What's your road rage meter? Do you Does it go to a 10 pretty quick with you? I mean, even in the hallway, if you get bumped, you, you get angry. So I'm thinking road rage is not uh, 
something that's uncommon for you? What kind of what kind of reputation do I have in this building? Um, no, I'm I'm pretty good. I don't like stupidity on the roads, if that's fair. But I like to hear what people think on the text line. Like, what is your biggest gripe? Because we talked about it last week. People who don't indicate, people who don't give thank you waves. Perry is both of those. And um, <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. And after you mentioned, Guilty. yeah, see, well, you mentioned people who take a left at a green light but don't indicate. Oh my gosh. And ever since then, I've noticed it more and more. So, you know, this morning when I got stuck in, on low heat, uh, some guy behind me decided to drive up onto the sidewalk, go through some traffic cones where there was construction happening, and then cut back into the right lane and then kept driving up on the shoulder illegally to take the right to get off of low heat. Yeah. So that's our lead story today from the News 1130 newsroom. <laughs> Sadia Aslam dealing with traffic. Hey, I made it. I made it. Yeah, that's all that matters. Uh, you, you, be, you, you made the news. You become part of the news world. That's, no, that's where we're at. That what else? Like what, what else have we got this morning? We got another vaccine on the yes. market. Johnson & Johnson now. Good news. Yes, so Health Canada has just approved the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We knew it was coming, and now they've made it official. This, the biggest difference between this vaccine and the other three is that this is one dose. This is one hit. Well, not one hit. You get one shot. <laughs> That's probably yeah. not a bad word. What are you going with? Bad word. It's yeah. Friday. You get one shot, and then you got it. You don't have to go back for a second shot uh, four months later or six weeks later, whatever they tell you. So with Johnson Johnson, we're not expecting any shipments, though, in Canada until April. And the idea, and this is even more good news, more optimism in this pandemic, is Dr. Bonnie Henry saying, given all the vaccines now approved, now being rolled out, and clinics will be up and running, Running this month, her hope is that we will be back to pre-pandemic days by the summer. But that comes with a caveat. We need to make sure that case numbers stay down and people still follow the rules. And they're not. They're going well, the wrong direction again. All well, of a and I think what's going to happen, we've talked about this a million times, is the complacency. People get the shot and they think they can go lick doorknobs. No. If you get the <laughs> shot, you still have to Perry. follow. Yeah, again, Perry, Perry. Again. Yeah. God. Um, Stop it. Yeah. Hey, we're just spitting facts over here, guy. Um, Maybe a cold fence in Alberta. That's okay. too much detail. Anyways, so, um, so yeah, you have to still follow the rules. And so the hope is that, yeah, by summer – um, will we be up and running? That, But that doesn't mean like concerts will be back in town. It doesn't mean the loosening that we want to see. But, oh, man, if you can loosen just a bit by the summer, that's all we need right now. The weather will be better. People can actually do things. Ugh, we're, we are getting there. This is the good news that we needed on a Friday. It's happening. Slowly, but it's Thank happening. Thank you for this. Thanks for uh, adjusting your schedule and coming in and just touching base with us. Um, Say hi to everybody in the newsroom. <laughs> They don't want to say hi back to you. <laughs> tell you could tell them that I said hi. Hey there. guys, James says hi. <laughs> and Perry, Perry I had nothing to say to you. I, I wanted to talk about Nanaimo school. bars. Oh, it's too bad. What do you got? Go. What do you got about Nanaimo bars? Uh, it's the New York Times are getting slammed by Canadians coast to coast because they put up a recipe on their Instagram that doesn't have the right ratio of crust to custard and chocolate. You know, if you're gonna try a recipe from oh. another country, you got to make sure you do it right. Maybe consult with a Canadian. They're, I, honestly, their top one, I, like, if, if I have to pick a dessert on it, the Nanaimo bars might be my number one. They're incredible. I love Nanaimo bars. Oh. Yeah. Pace, pace in moderation, though, right? Like, they are sweet. They're very sweet. Um, I got a lot of time for Nanaimo bars, but you can't eat a whole bunch of Nanaimo bars. No, I like I can, turtles. I can, I can have one one piece. 
But I'd rather eat that than angel food cake, which is garbage. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's healthier for you, the angel no, food cake. No, it's not. It's God, garbage. Not a rosy grape. That's a crap Angel food dessert. cake's healthy. Who cares? It doesn't taste good. Tastes like. Uh, man, the Nanaimo bars from Costco, like, can anybody sit down with that and just bring it down, put it down? I can go, I can go three deep on Nanaimo bars, but they're, un, they're unbelievable. Are we going to bring Screw back you, the story of you eating a cake in the closet as a child? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a Friday. It might be a party at my house. You never know. <laughs> Some sort of super spreader event. Jeez, Perry. Th- thanks, Aslam. Thanks, I boys. know the entire community in Nanaimo on the island has your back on this, this one This is true. As Miss Preteen Nanaimo, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. What? I wasn't. I'm kidding. It's sarcasm. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I should have been, though. <laughs> Just sounds creepy now. Okay. We gotta, if I would have entered, I would have won. Here, That's true. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Sonia. There weekend. she is. Sonia Aslam from News 1130 just down the hall uh, with the latest. Uh, you know, I, I should also, just with, with, in the news uh, this morning, obviously last night we got word that uh, Walter Gretzky passed away at the age of 82 last night pair. And, um, you know, Walter Gretzky, my God. I mean, there's a guy you could almost, you know, not a Hall of Famer, but, man, like people just looked at him like one when he was at public events and gatherings. And, you know, he was just the most lovable hockey dad known to planet earth and um you know gone but then also the news hitting home for a lot of people this morning a fixture in you know for sports fans in this country for really the last quarter century but chris schultz the big man uh the the host of risky business uh, cfl analyst for years also played with the dallas cowboys back in the early 80s uh gone way too soon this morning uh at the age of 61 but chris schultz schultzy uh, I worked with them as part of the CFL and TSN crew several years back. Uh, just a wonderful teammate, a no-nonsense guy behind the scenes. Uh, but when the cameras went on, always quick with a joke and a smile, and just man, just always quick, like ready to go, like just bring it on. Nothing, nothing phased him. Uh, but uh, man, just really sad news to see uh, two two guy two very familiar personalities in the sports world here in this country gone. Well, and the you know Schultz only sixty one and a heart attack, and we found that out when we were meeting this morning before the show. And, and you've worked with them. I've met Chris and done a little bit of stuff with him when the crew would come out west here, and, and Mike English, our producer, worked with him. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's shocking at his age. And Walter Gretzky, uh, he is just such a fixture in our nation as the hockey dad. Here's what Wayne Gretzky said at one point, and, and it has rung true for the entire. Gretzky career of what his dad was to him and, and to our country. Well, I think that he just taught me the basics of life as far as schooling, uh, as far as how I treated people, uh, how my preparation was for athletics. I don't think there's any question in my mind. I wouldn't be playing professional hockey if it wasn't for him. I can remember being six years old and him saying, you know, you have something special. I don't know what it is or why it is or how you got it. But you do have it, and, you know, I'm not telling you that you have to be a hockey player or have to be a baseball player, but whatever you're going to do, do it the best you can because you have something special. Don't blow it. And I always remember that. You know, Gretzky, when he played his last game, right, he made sure, you know, he called him Wally. It wasn't really Dad, but we're driving to Madison Square Gardens. You and I are just driving together. We're not doing anything else. This is how it started, and this is how it is going to end. So for as much as Gretzky did everything – Walter Gretz was by his side, and, and James, you've had some dealings with him. I had some dealings with him, and fortunately, there are maybe millions in Canada that had dealings with Walter Gretzky. So, uh, boy, he took that mantle as hockey's dad and was incredible with it. Well, and just and again, like Gary Gary Bettman kind of alluded to this in his statement. You know, Walter Gretzky 
never played in the National Hockey League. You know, he wasn't a coach. He wasn't a general manager. Um, but, man, he had such a profound effect. He was su- had such an impact on the sport of hockey. I mean, look, I mean, he gave he gave the planet <laughs> the greatest hockey player ever, right? But at the same time, um, man, he was involved. You know, and there was this lovability to him. If you ever had a chance to meet Walter Gretzky, it's almost like you wanted to hug the guy. And he wanted to hug you. Like, he just had such a, a – uh, uh, just an honest, very quiet, unassuming demeanor. Um, and as he got into his later years, he, he just seemed to, I think some of the health issues probably impacted it a little bit, but, you know, he, he just had more and more fun in the spotlight. I can I can think back to a night at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. He was shown on the, on, on the Jumbotron screen one night. The music started playing, and, man, he started dancing in the crowd, and the like 20,000 fans on a Saturday night just gobbled it up. You know, big cheer, standing ovation. You know, just, you know, it's like, you know, you get the right song for the moment. You know, you get something that fires up the crowd. Walter Gretzky fired up 20,000 people on that particular night. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was a household name in this country. I mean, a household name for anybody in the hockey universe, Walter Gretzky. And it's like essentially he was a hockey dad, just like so many parents that take their kids to – to, to use sports events, you know, on at night or for practice yeah. or on weekends. There's so many great stories. And, and the fact is, it almost like he was oblivious to who his son was. You know, the stories, one today with, with a, a group of, of, of grade school kids that would go by the Gretzky house. They came there, so he let them in as a tour. And Wayne happened to be there, and he was sleeping. So all these kids, you know, ages seven or eight are kind of around, and then Gretzky wakes up and is scared and they're going, what's going on? And, and Walter's laughing. Uh, Wayne on a podcast with a, a friend of his, Jim Jerome, this summer, uh, did a great podcast and said, you know, there's one time I come home to visit dad and there's a guy sleeping and he goes, who's that? And Walter goes, that's Bob from Halifax. And he goes, who's that? He goes, I don't know. It's just Bob from Halifax. But he was that kind. <laughs> and then then one time Gretzky comes there and Walter's going, I don't understand. It's a Saturday and like there's no one visiting the house. Well, Gretzky called his brother Brent, who's a, a Ontario police officer, and said, hey, I'm going to pop by for a, a couple of days to visit Dad. Can you just make sure you got some cars on the street so I can actually visit him? And Wally's like, screw you. Why is no one coming? It's a lovely Saturday. People are supposed to come over to the house. So he was kind of oblivious to the fact that you were the father of the greatest hockey player and the greatest ambassador our country has had to the game, and he let everyone be a part of it, which uh, was just the special quality that the man had. All right, 845, uh, some final thoughts uh, before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show, who will have Jim Benning on at 11 o'clock this morning. Final thoughts next here on your home of the Canucks Sports at 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 9 o'clock. The Scott Ritual Show coming your way at 9 o'clock and your must-listen-to moment with Scotty Jim Benning at 11 a.m. Make sure you got dial set at a.m. 6.50 or also on the Sportsnet app, or you can also listen to us uh, in crystal clear, high definition on HD3 at 96.9. Per, I want to share a text with you here on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, Ross and Richmond had a, a, a good perspective here. Publicly owned, um, publicly owned companies don't let the public choose who the CEO CEO is. They don't even choose the board of directors. This is Aquilini's baby. 
Jim should get one more year with the cap coming off the books. He's been blamed really for the same mistakes he made in one or two off-seasons by signing the bad contracts. A lot of money comes off next year, and look at the picks he's mined. I've never seen the Canucks draft this many gems in my entire life. Don't be short-sighted. It's always darkest before the dawn. I think the Canucks are on the precipice of greatness. That from Ross and Richmond. Well, thanks for using the word precipice. That's great when we get that in, Ross. I don't think Ross is wrong, James, but in the history of sports, when you have a successful team, how much of it is due to the person who built it but doesn't get to take it across the finish line? Do the Aquilinis have that patience to go, you know what, Jim, you're going to see this through. Now, Steve Eiserman left by choice in Tampa Bay, but that was his hockey team, uh, essentially, that won himself a Stanley Cup. Brian Burke made some tweaks, but Berkey will even admit that when he won a Stanley Cup in Anaheim, it's pretty much, you know, I had a pretty solid foundation of what he inherited. So it's not unlike that it doesn't happen in sports before. Could Jim Benning be the guy and get a chance to slide it through? I think that's what he's thinking. If I can get through this season, if I can get to the summer and make some decisions and have some money because of the mistakes I made, I can make this team better. But I just don't know if the Aquilinis are going to be patient enough to go in Jim, Jim we trust. Uh, that's the biggest question. A lot of questions uh, people want answers to, and hopefully we try to get some of those answers coming up uh, later on this morning. Scott Rintoul with Jim Benning coming up at 11 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Um, somebody listening to our Nanaimo Bar conversation asking you, Perry, do you know what's in a Nanaimo Bar? Loggers and Cougars. Boom boom. Island joke. <laughs> I guess so, an island joke. Yes. <laughs> We've been every. It just seems this week with Canucks fans and how they've done uh, to win, to lose, to terrible, to come up with something so unexpected last night. Who knows what we're dealing with on Monday? But boy, you can get everybody back on board if you do the unthinkable and, and take two from the Leafs and how good they've been. Uh, people taking issue with uh, Ross's uh, text. Uh, don't read the one text that supports him out of the hundreds that don't. It'd be fascinating. You know, it's funny. Twitter certainly always feels like the overwhelming negative, uh, like, you know, you want to see Benning punted into the sea. But, man, when you when, when our text line, you know, when people actually kind of weigh in their thoughts a little more, it's yeah. amazing how much more split it is that people still have support for Jim Benning and those that don't. Like, there's a lot of detractors for Jim Benning. Don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of people that also text in here that, uh, that still kind oh, of see a light at the end of the tunnel here for Jim Benning. James, and we, we took calls this week, which is a rare thing to do because people were so hot on Wednesday morning, and we were surprised, going, you know what? The calls are a little more patient than the texts, right? Yeah. So it's interesting to see what the play will be. 11 o'clock, he's on Scotty's show. Do you get any answers? I think not, but at least he's speaking publicly the first time in almost a month and a half. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're back at it Monday. Talk to you then. Take care. They're going home. They're going home. Yeah, they're going home.